Hello and welcome to another Hit the Books review. Today we are reviewing the smash hit Joker. We're reviewing the Joker. Where are the drugs going? <laughs> it, 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 is that the laugh you're going with? It's just, it's, I feel like your laugh's a lot more, I don't know, in endearing or sympathetic or something i tried <laughs> <laughs> and uh so did everybody on this film and it clearly shows we'll get to his opinions later i'm very happy i'm not quite sure where you're at but i'm very happy uh well <laughs> let's just say when you left the the bar all the way in the floor, Jared Leto, I'm looking at you. Uh, going from that to having the bar right up to where Heath Ledger is, that's that, that's a pretty sizable improvement. Yeah. It's a very violent shift from what was <laughs> happening before. And oh, I, I mean that both figuratively God. and literally. Yeah. I mean, it's like, have you ever ridden in a, like a Tesla S model and had somebody drive with a ludicrous mode on and accelerated? <laughs> That's how quickly we went from rock bottom to top of the mountain. And uh, yeah, zero to a hundred. I, God. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> now I take that back. I would be very happy if they canceled this birds of prey and Harley Quinn movie <laughs> and just went full, full like, steam ahead with Todd Phillips's vision for it, what it, the DC it, universe could be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, alas, we're probably not going to see that unless everybody goes sees this movie and supports it with their money. Because they only invested $55 million in this movie. Oh, they definitely made their money back. <laughs> oh, they made that and then some. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with our review process, we uh, uh, are your weekly comic book podcast where Emery and I, and perhaps a guest, run you through the latest news and uh, talk about the latest topics in comics. Um, this week, we are not doing a regular episode because we're doing our Joker review. Um, we both went out and saw it. I saw it the opening weekend. Emery saw it a few days ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was out of town there. And so we did not see it together. We have kept <laughs> discussion points to a minimum, you know, yep. besides a, a small little Facebook talk. A uh, little snippet. We haven't really gotten into it. So I'm curious to see what uh, your opinions are and what your thoughts are. And I, from the sounds of it, we have uh, some similar vibes going on, I think. Yeah. Uh, some similar feelings about uh, aesthetic choices and directional choices and uh, names who were involved probably for a reason. Uh, let's just say one of the producers' uh, stamp on the movie was felt really hard. <laughs> really hard, yeah. Um, so... Uh, I really am excited to get into the spoiler section of this. For those of you unfamiliar, we don't do a spoiler section right away. We do a spoiler-free review, and then we give you kind of our, our lasting impressions of the movie, you know, our, our broad view of the movie, uh, without spoiling any big plot points or plot devices or anything like that. And then uh, we get into the actual review where we do give you explicit spoiler warnings, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, both in the audio and in the video. Uh, to warn you not to proceed if you have not seen the movie, or if you wish to proceed, you know, we we at least gave you a fair warning, a fair shake, so you could stop 
the video, go see the movie, and then come back and then talk about it with us. Now, um, we are almost a week from its opening uh, on that Thursday night last week. Uh, October 4th was the official release date in the U.S., and it has been slowly but surely opening in other territories throughout the world, and it's been doing pretty damn well. It's taken over Venom's October release record. Yeah. And now surpassed that with almost $100 million for its opening weekend domestically. That's pretty nuts. Not even worldwide, domestically, <laughs> which is awesome. It makes me so happy, yeah, especially with all the kind of uh, fear-mongering, for lack of a better term, that was going on prior to this movie. There really is no better term. <laughs> there, was, there was a few stages prior to this film coming out where... It kind of started with a kind of, uh, I'm not sure if this is the right direction to go from general audiences. And there were some rumors that the script had been passed around and people didn't like it. And then the movie got made uh, with Todd Phillips directing, with Martin Scorsese famously putting his input, and I think for <laughs> very good reason. Uh, and uh, even Bradley Cooper kind of lent a hand to this project and really went full steam ahead to support it, which is not something you would expect. Right. But I think Todd Phillips had a lot to do with that because of his direction of The Hangover. Um, you know, famously being a comedy director, you wouldn't expect this type of movie from him, but I think it, it worked out very well. I actually... I see exactly why if he was going to do uh, a comic book-related film why it would be the joker hilariously he's now made it so that when he's not uh known for comedy he's known for handling characters who at least are in some way shape or form entrenched in comedy as a thing <laughs> that's fair <laughs> he certainly has an aesthetic going on oh yeah um but i think he did a great job with this movie i if I'm not being clear enough, I love this movie. Yeah, I posted on my social media pages immediately after seeing this. Now, to be fair, I do have a bad habit of overhyping things beyond belief. Oh, do you know? When I want to support <laughs> something. Uh, and I have been guilty of having to backstep a little bit on some of the things. Like, I think... I think the most famous one is probably Batman versus Superman, where <laughs> the week I saw it, uh -huh. I completely ignored the third act because I hated it so much <laughs> and just focused on the Batman parts of the movie where Batman was just murdering people. And I, <laughs> reflecting on it, you know, like a few weeks later, I was like, fuck, that movie was bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just hyped this movie up so hard for people and now people are going to go see it and be like what the fuck was he talking about yeah <laughs> so that's one that i'm famous for being completely wrong on and, and that's I, not even the ultimate version i oh god <laughs> <laughs> there is no ultimate version <laughs> um it, it, Zack snyder would say otherwise i wish he would stop <laughs> You see, he even had like petitions going on oh. with, with fans trying to make his movies again and re-release <laughs> stuff that he's already done and screwed up. I'm like, dude, just let it go. You're done. Just let it go. No one cares. You, you it's talk fine. about a sore loser. It's fine. Just let it go. It's like if Schumacher was oh, parading no. around demanding, oh. demanding that people respect Batman and Robin. You know, like. <laughs> 
just calm calm your tits dude it's it's over it is what it is you don't need to go back to it it's fine let the next generation take over um but uh shazam's probably another example now shazam was not a bad movie shazam was my favorite movie of this year up to this point but i did i did on purpose overhype it quite a bit (laughs) i had a daily post about why it's so great and why you should see it before it's out of theaters not because I thought it was the greatest movie of all time, but because I wanted people to support this direction for DC, which is to say a sane direction uh, <laughs> that wasn't riddled with cocaine and bad decisions. That being said, I'd say at least 90% of that hype was well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> that was Shazam is a great movie. I've gotten a lot I, of... Like, sh- it's not perfect. <laughs> But I love that movie. I love that too. It, 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 was, it a, has been my favorite. It movie is of the a year. wonder. I want to play yeah. that for Christmas. It is a great Christmas movie. That is, it is a great Christmas movie. It's about family. It is uh, at the. It's it's a good movie. Go see it. Yeah, please. And watch our Shazam review while you're at it. Yes, it is a good movie, and you'll want to talk about it. Oh, of course, so you'll want to talk about it. All right. So back to the Joker review. Now, I have been guilty of overhyping things in the past. Base point. Mm-hmm. Returning to where we were. Yep. Uh, but I don't think I'm overstepping this time. I think it is worthy of all the buzz it's been getting. Uh, like we were talking about the cycle up to this movie, you know, there was a lot of Oscar buzz going around and then there was a brief period right before it got released where suddenly a bunch of opinion blogs started popping up about how this is going to, you know, cause dangerous events and, you know, a lot of fear mongering and talking about, uh, when the Dark Knight Returns came out. Um, or Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, it was the Dark Knight Sorry, Rises. Not Dark Knight Returns. In which someone uh, had dressed up or had claimed to have been dressed up like the Joker yeah. or had been inspired by the Joker uh, shooting up a cinema, which uh, I'm going to say this for the record. Why did he wait for the movie that doesn't that feature doesn't have Joker in it at all? <laughs> it's like, wait a yeah, why would you come into a theater after the Joker has already died? <laughs> <laughs> You've merely adopted the controversy. <laughs> I was born in it. <laughs> Molded by it. <laughs> by the uh, time I knew good reviews, I was already a man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could but, literally uh, do like a Bane. Like <laughs> I was born in it for everything. I could. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Deserves to be. It's like I just might. Um, um, but yeah, that that was a very big deal, yeah. according to the media. It Which looked, is, you know, they were they were looking for clicks. Like, think, I'll just say it. Yeah. They're just looking for clicks, and a handful of people that never saw the movie and probably aren't going to see the movie agree with them. Yeah, we, that's what I've been gathering so far. We and, do live in the clickbait era of news. Yeah. But I think for the most part, uh, people are very, very high on this movie. Uh, some people are hesitant to say that they like the movie, even though they say it's a great movie, because they're afraid that by saying they like this movie, that they, somehow it reveals a character flaw about them. I think it's the exact opposite. Oh, I yeah. think if this movie makes you feel uncomfortable, if this movie challenges the way you think about your thought process and how you would behave in these situations. If this movie makes you question 
your own sanity a little bit, you know, in your own morality and your own moral fiber just a little bit. I think that's what this movie is trying to do. And I think that's a good thing because it means that you have a conscience and that you are a thoughtful person that can look introspectively and extrospectively and kind of see the difference, you know, between what is being portrayed and what is reality for you. And uh, I think, I think it's much less present in people that just see this movie and leave it as is. It's a movie. I thought it was boring. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think those are the fucking psychopaths you got to watch out for. <laughs> uh, I think the people that do feel uncomfortable with this movie and do feel challenged by this movie on a personal level, I think you're just fine. And I think the movie is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And I think the mo- movie actually has quite a few positive messages more so than any negative you could take from it. You know, the, the, the character again, avoiding spoilers for me is not portrayed as necessarily a hero. He kind of comes off that way towards the end of the movie uh, to certain groups of people unintentionally. But when you're viewing it from the character's perspective, when you're seeing it from the Joker's perspective, he's not the hero and he knows he's not the hero. Um, And I think any audience who's paying attention while watching the movie can see that. And I think it's just lazy when people go out fear mongering and saying that this is going to cause, you know, uh, the fabric of society to fall apart and people are going to be shooting up theaters and rioting and trying to be copycat killers and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think it's, I think it's lazy and I, I, it makes me kind of bummed out that this is kind of what happens every time somebody does something outside of the norm for pop culture good or bad i like that todd phillips with this movie is challenging the narrative is challenging the kind of mainstream idea of what it means to make a great movie an interesting movie and a challenging movie you know nothing against marvel because we enjoy all their movies for the most part and you know we've obviously seen all of their movies up to this point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and giving them our money and support. Oh yeah. But there's very few movies in Marvel's catalog that really challenge you as a human being that make you think about the fabric of society and the world you live in and stand independently as an art piece. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's just a thrill factor for the most part, you know, there's exceptions in there, little threads here and there that you can kind of grab onto and enjoy, but at the most basic setting for the Marvel universe, it's just entertainment i think this does something beyond entertainment and i think that's the best part about it what do you think huh that is pretty on point for the most part um i for the most part agree with what you've said about this movie uh i think that there is (sighs) And I'm not sure exactly what this says about me, but there were a few things that happened in this movie that I could kind of see coming. A couple of twists, a couple of turns. I would agree that there was some things that if if you were paying enough attention and you've seen enough movies, particularly Scorsese movies, you kind of knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I think that was... uh, I'm not sure whether or not this was... Uh, a movie rewarding my knowledge of Scorsese movies or whether or not I might have been 
maybe to a certain extent uh, thinking not as highly of the film as I could have, given that I was looking for things to compare this to. Um, there's some very obvious comparisons. I'll just say it. Yeah. Like, there's a reason they brought Scorsese into this, and I there's a reason why Robert De Niro specifically was cast in his role, I think, beyond other being other than being a good actor with connections to Scorsese. Right. There's some very obvious... I don't think it's a spoiler to say so because, you know, yeah, we're not. It, it's already out there that people have made this connection. There are two big movies that were early in Scorsese's career and De Niro's career yeah. that are very influential in movie making generally, but uh, have a lot of commonalities with this movie. And one, in, one of those two movies, I think, extremely so. Uh, yeah. One is Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. And I, the, the big one is The King of Comedy. Um, this movie does take quite a bit from uh, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Yeah. That being said, it does it in the best way. And if you were going to pull from pre-existing movies... Those two would be the perfect ones to do it. Yeah. I mean, Taxi Driver is a little bit more of an established thing that's iconic in its own right. Right. I think King of Comedy is actually a great pull and a movie that deserved to be remade in a modern aesthetic because I think it's far more relevant today than it's ever been before. I think when it came out in the early 80s, late 70s, yeah, like 81, 82, something like that, when it came out, that kind of culture and obsession with fame and kind of almost manic obsession over fame and narcissism, that wasn't really quite up to the point it is today. It was just kind of budding, you know, we had, we had a few things, but most, most TV was the, you know, Andy Griffith show and, you know, some hippies playing strum guitar. Yeah. That that sort of thing. There was some angst coming out of the seventies and stuff from Vietnam and that sort of thing kind of popping up here and there, but it was still kind of new and fresh. Whereas today it's grown into this kind of big behemoth where we got, you know, five different talk show hosts on American television every night. (laughs) You know, we got Saturday night live getting involved in politics and, you know, yeah, these variety shows popping up everywhere because they're the only things that make ratings anymore. You know, yeah, it, it's, it's more likely that you'll be famous for nothing <laughs> and on some internet page than you will for actually some crowning achievement. Um, and I think it it was, I think it's far more relevant today, and I think it deserved to be remade in the way that it kind of has with this movie. Yeah, um, so. Yeah. I will say that, and I think it was, a, like you said, a great pull. Yeah. Uh, this movie... How do I put this? This movie does 98% of everything that they do right. There were maybe one or two things that I thought were either unnecessary or... You know, something that could have, like, if we are maybe doing a sequel to this, we could have held off until the second movie with this one. Sure. Uh, Which but is, the, unfortunately, probably not likely based on everything we're hearing from Joaquin Phoenix specifically. Yeah, from yeah. what I hear, it uh, 
he Todd said Phillips he's not, wants to, but uh, we'll Joaquin, see if Joaquin Phoenix wants to. Yeah, Joaquin said he isn't completely turned off by the idea. Yeah. Although I, if, I, if I were him, I would say it's uh, like while doing another one sounds all right, having this movie, I think it, this movie would be stronger if it stood on its own. Yeah, I think... It's great as kind of like a DC Black Label book or Elseworlds book, you know, that type of aesthetic. However, that being said, it's clear that DC sucks at making a universe. <laughs> and when they make something good, you might as well capitalize on it. Right. Because you rarely fucking do it. <laughs> so here's here's what I would propose if I were a producer at, at Warner Brothers and or DC, some some point in creative... I would propose that, hey, Todd Phillips, why don't we just give you, you know, between 50 and 100 million a movie and you get to create your own little universe, you know, alongside any other chances we take or any other shots we take. Like, clearly, they don't want to dump Aquaman and Wonder Woman because they made this universe for them and they kind of like it and they're making money off of it for better or worse. And they're going to keep going with those two. And clearly they don't want to give up on Flash, even though I hate him, because uh, <laughs> they're making his movie as well. And they're doing the stupid Birds of Prey thing. Uh, That's fine. Yeah, they're trying. I wish they would stop, but it's fine. If you're going to do that, do that on another kind of timeline where there's no crossover, there's no interplay. I think audiences are intelligent enough to separate things from each other. It's clear that the Joker world is very, very different and in a very, very different era than the Justice League Snyderverse. So if you're not going to dump the Snyderverse stuff, at the very least, allow other successful directors take their vision and run with it. And I'm not saying that we have to have a Joker 1, a Joker 2, a Joker 3. What I'm saying is let him build a universe out of this movie. You know, let him do a movie about, you know, Riddler or Penguin or let him do a different DC city. You know, let him do a Green Lantern movie or something like that. Let him try out something new, a little bit, something a little more adult, a little bit more gritty. Give him the free creative reins to try something new alongside this other you know, grouping, you'll still have your billion dollar Chinese funhouse uh, movies that go to China and make a billion dollars for no apparent reason. Um, but on the side, you can have extremely profitable, low budget, low tech movies that are established in a very unique aesthetic and era that differentiate themselves from what Marvel's doing with Disney and from what your Snyderverse is doing, you know, which again, I kind of wish they would stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a personal suggestion. I am actually, because of this movie, way more interested in what Todd Phillips would do with, uh, as you were mentioning, other villains. There is one villain in particular that really needs to be done. And I think you know which one. I could guess several. The rogue, uh, the rogue's gallery for Batman is very good. Oh, I, I would. I'm guessing do it. you're leaning towards Luther. Is that, yep. is that what you're thinking? Yep. Lex Luther. All right. Uh, like we we've. How do I put this? More of the DC movie catalog has way more to do with Batman than any 
other DC hero villain pairing combined. We why? Because it makes a lot of money. Oh my and people God. like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Shazam has proven anything to us, if you have a good enough story, people will invest. It's true. And I think Todd Phillips has, if anything, proven himself as not only a worthwhile director, I think he could revolutionize the way that, uh, well, the way that the comic book movie craze goes. He could he could revolutionize the direction, yeah, the trajectory. I mean, he could maybe hopefully uh do something bold enough to convince that hey you other comic book movie companies out there maybe doing rated r isn't so bad blade i'm looking at you yeah Yeah, i would (laughs) hope that more movies are willing to go the logan route the the joker route and do the r-rated movie i mean even i mean venom was r-rated too right no. No, it was PG-13. It was PG-13. Right. I haven't seen it. That's uh, I, don't, I don't care to see it. So really, the you're going to see it. <laughs> the only big ones we've had then are Logan and Joker. And Logan kind of broke the glass ceiling on that. And Joker just plowed right on through right behind it. And yeah. both movies have been excellent. I guess Deadpool, right? Deadpool, Deadpool, yes. Deadpool 1 and 2. Those movies also both great. Also broke that glass ceiling. And have been doing very great very respectable numbers so those movies did so well marvel has to keep ryan reynolds and they should (laughs) they'd be fools not to yeah and i mean the jokes write themselves you know he's in another universe (laughs) and another timeline it's it's such great material for fourth wall breaking like is this fox or disney or both i i can't tell anymore (laughs) (laughs) um but uh, I think t- just to kind of end on a final point, um, from a production standpoint, this movie is going to be revolutionary in a way that it kind of sends directors back to basics. Because up to this point, Warner Brothers especially has been very kind of just drowned in production budget and just $300 million, $250 million budgets that are all being spent on CG and nonsensical effects and digital upgrades that don't need to be there this movie proves not only can you make a great movie on a small budget just like logan just like deadpool 1 and 2 but it also proves that you don't need a bunch of cg digital effects to achieve something effective and profound and impressive visually you know when you put cg in there it detracts from what you're trying to show the audience what you're trying to portray because people can tell it's fake even the best CG out there, you can tell it's fake. It doesn't look right. It's too shiny. It's too Gumby-like. It stands out too hard. Yeah, and this movie, you know, it might have some, you know, digital like reclamation where they're trying to hide stuff that they accidentally left in the shot, or you know, adding yeah. print type over the screen. That's basic stuff. That I, you know, that's not a problem. What I'm impressed by is that they didn't use any kind of like CG monsters or visions or, you know, nonsensical, you know, 
almost 3D like effects of things coming at the screen so you can sell more 3D viewing tickets and stuff like that. This movie is bare bones, practical effects, stuntmen doing what stuntmen do best. I mean, there's a there's a part in the movie this isn't a spoiler cuz it's in the trailer where Joker is running uh from some individuals and he gets plowed into by a taxi cab. And I mean, it is visceral. I mean, the f- sound effects on it are just Oh man, smacks so hard and it makes you feel like oh he has no hip bones left, you know. <laughs> and the and the man flips like three times over the car and lands in the street. That's what's exciting for me. That is way more exciting to me than seeing a CG Gumby like figure be <laughs> like thrown twenty feet in the air and spinning a million times and landing on his back. You know, like that's what they would have done on a classic. DC budget, not so much on a current one, and I love th- I love that they take these small risks, and I hope that they continue taking these small risks with these smaller budgets because you're just printing money at this point. Why not? Yeah, the, I think this is probably the best lesson that Warner Brothers at large could learn. Practical effects, please, please, as much as possible. You know, digital effects should not be the first answer. It should be the last answer. If nothing else is working and you just can't achieve the shot in any other possible way, then go CG. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like the only thing I would ever have asked them to CG is... Do you need to put it on vibrate? <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, the only thing I would have asked for them to CG is the thinness of the leading actor. Maybe because... for his health. Y- yes. For the love yeah. of... I mean... He I... went full Christian Bale on this one. He, he went full did. machinist. Oh, my it was, God. It was gross. And I'm I'm pretty sure you probably asked for some tips from Christian Bale on the machinist. Because <laughs> he even had, like, the same shots with the shoulder blades all hunched over and crunched together. Like, yeah, oh, it man. was. It was gross. It was like there. I have never seen a shot more visceral in, like, conveying the uh, poor health that this character's in than seeing... His entire rib cage through his back. Yeah. Oh my god. Brutal. <laughs> brutal. And on a lesser point, I do agree with you that there were a few small convenient things happening here or there and things that if they had to happen, they probably should have had more explanation for why it was happening in the first place. Yeah. So I, I felt like there was just a handful of small things, minor gripes uh, on an otherwise very good, if not perfect movie to me um, where I'm like, well, if he had at least added like one more small scene to explain why this was happening instead of it just happening. Yeah. It, it would make a lot more sense. And the audience probably wouldn't gripe about it quite as much, but I think overall, that wasn't the point of the movie. The the yeah. points that I have gripes with didn't have anything to do with the overall main plot and the main thing you should be focused on. So it didn't affect my enjoyment of it at all. Um, yeah, and it's it, a minor gripe. And in the end, I have to give it a big thumbs up. I mean, we got our three point scale. Thumbs up, meh. Damn, don't see it. I say go see it. And if oh, we had a point definitely, system, definitely see this movie. See this movie. It's gonna be one of those water cooler movies that everybody has to talk about. You just can't not talk about it. After I saw the movie, I was literally up the entire night thinking about 
how was this frame? Was this real or was this a fantasy? Is is <laughs> oh, this guy oh who God. we think he is or is he something else? You know, uh, not again, not spoiling anything, but there is a lot to think about, and I can't wait to see this for a second time when I drag my brother and my girlfriend to it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a great movie, and I I even if you don't care about superheroes or villains or anything like that, you don't need that knowledge to go into this and enjoy it. There's you a f- don't need to know anything. You really don't to go in and enjoy this movie. This is like this is one of the rare moments nowadays where I think more than anything, this movie would be a reward for those who aren't deeply entrenched in uh, either comic book lore or movie history or anything like that. And it's like if yeah. you if you like went in completely blind with uh, nothing to compare this to. This movie would knock your fucking socks off. It's nuts. It's fucking nuts. Oh, my God. Uh, literally nuts. Yeah. It'll make you feel nuts. <laughs> I think I kind of felt nuts when I watched it. It's it's great. Um, so, yes, please go see it. I think we're now about to dive into spoilers. Again, this movie's been very successful. We both like it a lot. I, if we had a regular point system, this is one of those ones where I would give it a 10. You know, Not because it's a perfect movie, but it's about as close as you can really get. In my opinion, yeah, yeah. I, I it, like if we were doing regular points, I would give it a nine point five. Such a stickler. <laughs> He's always got to leave a little change at the end, a little bit, just in a case. A little bit. It's like we we gotta. Perfection we... doesn't exist in movie form, sir. Right, and the point should reflect that. <laughs> <laughs> One hour later. Yeah, I think upon further reflection, I, I've got to say it. Uh, I am revising my score based on the ending alone. I am actually going to give this a 10 out of 10. Yes, he's finally relented. This, this movie. <laughs> yeah, this makes it, me so it, happy. Because of the ending of this movie, this, this is the type of movie that is going to be talked about, I would say, for at least a decade. This is a f- film that's going to be shown in film schools. Yeah. For the, a reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Again. Explicit spoiler warnings. You've been warned. Do not watch beyond this point if you have not seen the movie. I beg you, there are a few surprises in this movie that you are going to want to hold out for. So go see this movie. Come back to the video. Join us for the discussion afterwards. We'd really appreciate it. Please don't spoil this for yourself. There's a lot of great talking points. Spoilers. 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 You have been warned. All right. Here's the spoiler cast. All right. So a lot of things happen in this movie. And like we were talking about earlier, this movie has a lot of commonality with the King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Yep. There is actually one scene that I think was pulled from a Chuck Palahniuk uh, story. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, there's also some nice little homages to past DC property. Like they even had kind of a, a small little call out to uh, the Dark Knight to Heath Ledger because Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix were actually good buddies. So yeah, it makes sense that he would want to honor the guy that whose role he's kind of replacing. You know, <laughs> and 
and on a higher standpoint, challenging, you know. Oh, especially yeah. if he wins an Oscar, there'll be two Jokers that won an Oscar, <laughs> <laughs> and they happen to be best buds. <laughs> Hopefully, Joaquin does not bite the dust uh, because we don't need to lose another one. That would be, I think, two. <laughs> that that would be two more Oscars that. Well, God, DC has three Oscars. Well, two Oscars currently, maybe a third one coming. And that's three more than so far Marvel has ever even come close to. Would you like to name these Oscars? Uh, one of these things is not like, like the, the other. other. <laughs> one of these things <laughs> doesn't, doesn't belong. belong. <laughs> 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 Suicide Squad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, ba- ba- Why? Ba- back to Joker. Back to Joker. We're, yeah. we're looking at good DC yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hard for me to come to terms with it. So I still don't believe it. Uh, especially with how much... I, I, a side tangent because of this. Not Suicide Squad related, thankfully. Uh-huh. But has something to do with it a little bit. Oh, no. This Harley Quinn... Birds of Prey movie doesn't come out until next fucking year. Joker just came out, and where have they been spending all of their promotion budget? On fucking Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Literally, their logo has changed to Harley Quinn. Every single one of their character logos has Harley Quinn integrated into it now. It's way more about, you know, and this Harley like, Quinn than any of the actual Birds of Prey members. This started like a month ago. It's like they're actively trying to sabotage the Joker movie. <sighs> they, I, I honestly think that there is a producer or a group of producers at Warner Brothers that has so much invested in the Snyderverse. It might be Snyder himself that he is on purpose, trying to drown out the Joker movie because he doesn't want it to be successful and he doesn't want (laughs) people in the company to recognize that, hey, there's money to be made here, not in this other garbage that we keep trying to push out. Yeah, it's almost like, and I'm going to keep saying it, they're playing chess against themselves. Ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous. Every bit of promotion, commercials I've seen, everything is for this fucking Harley Quinn movies. It's awful-looking, terrible fucking Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie. Now, maybe they just need it because they realize, oh, we're not going to make a fucking dime on this movie unless we just promote the shit out of it and hope that some people go out of stupidity and ignorance. Maybe that's why. But it doesn't come out until February of next year, March? I think so. Why the fuck are we wasting our time when you have an Oscar, potential Oscar nomination on your hands that is making truckloads of money despite all of the controversy that led up to it. Oh, uh, I see you've come out with two decent DC Comics movies. I'll see that move and I will play Birds of Prey and see how long you last with this one, DC. They just can't (laughs) get out of their own way. I think I've checkmated myself. This year, we have Shazam and Joker bookending the year. Two very, very good movies. One, a potential all-time masterpiece that's going to be in the cultural discussion for a long time. Yeah. Next year, we have Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn, 
And then we have uh, 1980s Wonder Woman. That's what we get next year. Devil triple oof. Like Wonder Woman's not bad. There's not yeah, I enjoyed that movie. You know, we have some gripes with the ending of it, but we enjoyed the movie. I don't know. I've seen uh, a couple of uh costume shots of Gal Gadot in uh a very uh this is yeah, the eighties. Go- they're going in a nonsensical Thor Ragnarok direction with it and they're gonna fuck it up. <sighs> Just like the, <laughs> it's gonna be so bad. Oh no! Stop. <laughs> stop stepping on your own toes and pissing in the wind. <laughs> Just stop it. It's almost like this company's run by a crazy person. <laughs> They're definitely fond of cocaine, <laughs> for damn sure. Like oh oh, this is you, you want to make a serious Joker movie here? We'll give you. We'll give you fifty million. We'll see how you do with that. Oh, you've more than doubled your take, and only in the states. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> see, there's two messages that they could get from this movie's success. <laughs> Message one: We can produce any garbage we want, <laughs> and these fucking idiots are all gonna flock to the theaters to see it. So, Harley Quinn three is a go. <laughs> Or they'll see the correct message and say, hey, R-rated, adult-oriented, small-budget, practical effects movies, character-oriented stories are the way to go. They could go one of two directions. I have so little trust in Warner Brothers (laughs) that I fear I'm about 75% sure they're going to go with the, the worst option and say, double down on fucking... Uh, Ezra Miller, double down on fucking <laughs> Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Just double down on all the stupidity, because these fucking idiots will pay for anything as long as it's got a name attached to it. I think that was the the last joke that Joker was laughing at at the end of that movie. It's the true comedy. <laughs> it's the true comedy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, back to the movie at hand. Uh, Movie's great. Uh, movie very much borrowed from King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Uh-huh. I think. I think if you wanted to split the movie up a little bit, I would say the beginning of the movie is more Taxi Driver. I think the second half of the movie is, is way more, more King Kings of, of Comedy. comedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, the beginning of the movie, you're introduced to this character. He's you know a mentally ill um, individual. He's sickly. He's cl- clearly malnourished. He works a, a dead end. You know act clown job uh, where he's literally i paid a hire clown that does odd jobs for this firm uh he's bullied by everybody he's even by children yeah especially <laughs> by children <laughs> um and remember this is not the era that we live in today oh no this, this is, is like 1981 yeah um there's uh trash uh and uh protests going on for the people that work for the trash and disposal company you know they're trying to get some better wages because they're being trod upon by the the establishment and they kind of showcase how in several ways that there's a complete you know disparate look on the world from the people at the top and the people at the bottom you know messages that i think would be relative you know excuse me that would be relevant during any era uh, I think people are kind of blowing it out of proportion how relevant it is now just because of who's the president right now. And again, a little bit, again yeah. with the fear mongering thing a little bit. I get it. I do. 
but it's probably not as bad as you think. Uh, and if anybody's familiar with pre-1990s New York City, oh, I mean, there's a reason the Bronx was burning. And it, <laughs> it wasn't because everybody was a nice person, you know? There's a reason um, why a lot of the video games that came out of the early 90s were about beating up street punks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a reason punk rock was born out of that. Yeah. You know, this, uh, all it was this, a wild time. All of this crazy, awesome culture that came from New York City originated out of hard times, as cool culture often does and cool art often does. Yeah. Um, and this movie is set smack dab in that type of aesthetic in Gotham, which is very much 1970s New York City, early 1980s New York City. Yeah. Um, similar aesthetic. Clearly, all the shots were in New York City. It's it's very apparent in many of the shots. Um, as a person who lived there, I actually recognized a few things. I was like, oh, all right, that's cool. <laughs> like, oh. Um, but yeah, it's dingy. It's dank. You know, the ever- you know, for a minute there, it kind of sounded like you said you lived in Gotham City. I I might have <laughs> uh, where I was living. Uh, yeah, you you wouldn't be <laughs> you wouldn't be blamed for mistaking it uh, for Gotham City. But uh, yeah, that's why Nightwing went to New York. It's like eh, yeah. kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but uh, it's it's a dire situation i mean it's it's kind of a hopeless looking world you know for most people uh, unless you come from a place of wealth or you come from a well-established family it's clear that you're just gonna be working your ass off trying to get by for the rest of your life and there's no end to it you know you can dream as he does often um and it kind of leads into his kind of mania later on but uh He's a guy that you kind of sympathize a lot for, you know. He's taking care of his sickly mother, and even his mother's kind of vindictive and cruel to him at times. And you find out later in the movie, you know, there's even more to that than you think. Um, it's it's very, very um, stark contrast from what you see in most superhero movies to start off. I mean, oh, yeah, that Todd Phillips did a great job of setting the table for the events to come afterwards. And that's before even getting into like some of the like the really deeper messages or, you know, like call outs to society as it is right now. Yeah. Um, This movie takes a look at the harm that bureaucracy can do to uh mental illness as uh as a society deals with that or looks at that yeah or how it doesn't deal with that or look at it at all um this movie says a lot about uh cultural obsession with fame mm-hmm. and what it can drive a person to do like For it, sure. it it says a lot about the the nature of the ego is like wanting to like not just have this image of yourself but to try to self actualize mm-hmm. and what that can end up looking like when uh as a mentally ill person uh your attempts to self actualize might be different in your head than what's actually happening in the real world. Yeah. And it's it 
it's very interesting how they kind of set the table. You know, again, he's taking care of his sickly mother who's in and of herself kind of cruel at times, uh, despite sometimes also being sweet. Yeah. You have uh, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, character, Arthur Fleck, who is, you know, clearly mentally ill, clearly dealing with embarrassing neurological issues like the compulsive need to laugh when he feels emotions when he gets you know he feels fear or he feels excitement or anything like that and it's again credit to joaquin phoenix for this performance because he does this unique thing where he like chokes on it where he's trying to hold it back and he's almost suffocating himself trying to hold it back because he's so embarrassed and he's you know it's obviously putting him in bad situations oftentimes yeah Um, like the way that he actually portrayed that reminded me a lot of what uh i've seen people with like tourette's yeah tend to do it's very guttural it's very like even the sound design is great in this movie because it's very very effective uh for capturing what he's doing and how he's performing it yeah, yeah. And I think the the thing that uh, made me feel for Fleck, which don't even get me started on the complicated feelings that this movie addresses when it comes to feeling for Fleck, knowing full well what he's going to become, mm-hmm. is just like... thought I turned the sound off on that. I'm going to uh, edit so many of those out. <laughs> um this actually shed some light on a question that I think a lot of Batman fans have had for quite some time, which is why doesn't he kill the Joker? And when, when it is even possible that the person who is committing all of this crime is someone who has been so thoroughly wrong throughout their entire life that you want to help them. It's like the, the most heroic thing that you could do for someone like this is to get them help or the, at least as close to the kind of help as they need. Not what they deserve, because... No matter what your condition, there are certain actions that, at least to me, would negate getting helped in any way, shape, or form. But I'm not Batman. (laughs) It's like, I am not nearly that altruistic, nor would I probably pull uh, the punches that I, like, if this this is, like, the Joker, (laughs) like, I personally... Would have probably gone the Jason Todd route and been way more vindictive and brutal yeah. towards I, this guy. I think there's something fair to address uh, with this version of the Joker. I've often said on past episodes, for those of you that have been loyally listening, thank you. Thank you. Um, on past episodes, I've often said that I hate when Joker has an origin. I don't like it when Joker has an origin story or a clear route. Like, I hate the Red Hood idea that he was this failed comic that was just a a stupid crook and fell into a vat of acid and it made him crazy. And now he's the Joker and now he kills everybody. I I always hated that because I felt like it took away the tension. It took away the mystique. It, it, It made him far more scary 
when he was an unknown quantity and when Bruce was always trying to get his DNA and he would sample it and find no match and it would drive him crazy that he couldn't figure out who this guy was, what made him tick. He was just anarchy embodied in a human being. And I always found that way more interesting and scary and intimidating than just some random guy who fell into a vat of acid and now he's a bad guy <laughs> like a real bad guy oh. and he wears makeup oh man he's so warped just yeah. i mean just look at him uh, which I is mean, which is what jared oh. leto is and i hate it <laughs> <laughs> fucking hate it um i do have to say though that the way this movie addressed his origin story and made it so that even though you know his origin, you don't really know his origin. Yeah, I, I, I thought that's that the was, thing that that, that was brilliant. Ooh. That was brilliant. I couldn't. Oh my god! See, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like literally, I'm getting goosebumps on my arm. <laughs> I don't know if the camera can pick that up, but just thinking about that, how brilliantly they set that up, like. I could imagine trying to do that. I don't know if I could have executed it, though. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, credit to Todd Phillips and everybody else who worked on the writing staff for this movie. Excellent job. Because you created an enigma within the context of the origin that you can't really say yay or nay either way to who this guy really is. You know, what is a fantasy? What is reality? (laughs) Um, what is the truth behind his parentage with Thomas Wayne? Is he really a Wayne, you know, bastard child? Did Wayne frame his mother? I mean, certainly he had the resources and the connections to do it. Did he frame his mother as a psychopath, as this crazy lady that adopted some random kid? And, you know, there's clues here and there that maybe that is the case. And then there's clues here and there that maybe he's just creating another fantasy. To justify his actions. I think the the thing that would be really intensely frightening about uh, the ramifications of that entire movie is there is this obvious notion that, you know, he is the the untrustworthy narrator of his own story. Yeah. Yeah. and, and he, rightfully so. And you're not even sure he realizes it, which is why it's so effective. Right. It's like blurring the line between, you know, like the part of the story you can trust to be what actually happened and the part of the story that clearly sounds like something that he made up in his own mind. Like, where is the line? I think the thing that would be way more scary to think about is what if apart from like the obvious thing that he made up what if that story was completely true like what if he actually is the greatest victim of his time like what if He really is a person who, despite everything, despite doing everything that he could, trying to do everything right, the world didn't care. Yep. At every turn, he got fucked 
over. This is like from his mother, from the person that he was told was his father, from his employer, from this uh, person that is real, but the, the relationship with was completely fabricated in his brain. Yeah. Uh, from the... Uh, Again, the, uh, another yeah. big callback to King of Comedy. Yeah, like even well, even the race of the woman yeah. <laughs> was so on point. It was <laughs> I was like, like, wow, oh, that is almost unabashed. Oh, <laughs> like okay, that's cool. Uh, okay, we're uh, going full blown honor mode. Yeah, not, not is, even being vague about it. <laughs> yeah, this is this is interesting. Oh my god, <laughs> which is cool. You know, yeah, he did. It, like, they didn't try to hide it, which yeah. is what I appreciate. If you're gonna rip something off to honor it okay that's fine yeah as long as you're clear and obvious about it and you're, you're willing to fess up to it which i think they right. did clearly with martin scorsese right I, I think once you have him on board helping the production then you're allowed yeah. it was like he he i think it was definitely his stamp was like this is how you tell this story yeah which is fine um imagine for a moment the greatest criminal, the person who you think is the most evil in this world, being the one person that, if you actually knew what their backstory was, you would sympathize with them. Yeah. And it's it's it sets up a very cool dynamic, which is why it begs for a sequel to yeah. follow up with oh, this. Oh, my God, that ending, though. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, my God. That, like, but, that is... That is the perfect way to end that story. God, so good. Oh. But you gotta you gotta think, like if Bruce does this Bruce in this universe who had a very limited role for good reason, thank God. It, yep. <laughs> it wasn't like the show Gotham where they shoved him down our throats despite him being a child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. everything they did with him makes sense and it begs for a sequel because you kind of want to see that dynamic. Maybe that's the real reason why Bruce can never bring himself to kill the Joker. Maybe in this kind of context, he has it in the back of his mind. You know, this is before we had the technology to easily test DNA and see if you were, you know, related. Right. Um, you know, these blood tests didn't really become common until like the late 80s, early 90s, you know. Yeah. And even then it was pretty fringe, you know. I didn't find out who my dad was until I was five when blood tests became common enough that you could actually test for it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was 1995, 96, somewhere around there. Then, um, yeah, with technology, 95 would be about the, the time when it became like reliable. Yeah, so you can imagine if this kid grows up and becomes Batman in his early 20s or mid-20s, you know, yeah. and starts taking on these things, including Joker's mania, and he finds out through his detective work, you know, that, hey, my dad wasn't the, you know, holy disciple we thought he was trying to <laughs> save the city. Maybe there was some dark, grimy stuff he was doing. And I think the movie illustrates that he kind of is a little bit of a sleaze bag. Like, he's yeah. clearly gotten an edge in things by doing nefarious things here or there, or less than moral things <laughs> from time to time, and being a less than moral person from time to time. Um I think it'd be very interesting if Bruce holds back more so because he doesn't know if that's his tragic brother 
or if this is just a loon, you know, or maybe he just feels bad for him because he's not his brother, but he thinks he is because his mother told him so. And he created this fantasy for himself, you know, after, through his mother's abuse and mania, you know, there's so many different angles and, you know, choices you can make with it. And I think it would be such a great way to tell that story and to kind of add more creative depth to the, the, the conversation of why can't we just kill him? You know, especially in this world, which is already so violent, you know, um, where you wouldn't necessarily imagine Bruce having such a strong moral fiber, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there's some there's some, you know, kind of famous scenes that are not if not replicated very much kind of hinted upon where you have uh, kind of that the scene at the end, which, again, is reminiscent of, you know, King of Comedy, but it's also reminiscent of uh the Dark Knight Returns, where the Joker goes on a live right. television show and kills everybody there. Um, so it's kind of a mix of those two things, because, you know, <laughs> King of Comedy, spoiler for that movie, you know, it's pretty old, but, you know, if you yeah. haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Um, but he doesn't actually kill anybody. Whereas in The Dark Knight Returns, he kills everybody. Right. This movie is a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's... Yeah. it's Rides the line right between, where it's like either he doesn't really kill anyone or he kills everyone, or in the middle, he just kills the one person who wronged him in the situation. Yeah. That actually reminds me of another scene, uh, maybe only a couple of scenes before that, where his friends from... His friends... From the, uh, you know, rent-a-clown company, mm-hmm. uh, come and visit him in his oh, apartment. Man. That was one of the most tense-filled, <sighs> tension-filled moments in that movie for Ooh. me. And I, again, this is a movie that makes you question your own moral fiber. It, yeah, I definitely laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely laughed at, at, during the scene, and I couldn't help it, which is. It's what the Joker is supposed to do. I felt like I choked back it, laughter because oh man. this that scene that was the most Joker scene I have ever witnessed. Oh my and it was God. probably the most creepy scene if you think about how it starts and he's got the mime face going. He doesn't have like the lips and the eyes and the colors and stuff. It's just a white paint. Yeah. After he's just, you know, basically killed his mother at the hospital and kind of gone full blown to the dark side, you know. Yeah. And it's crazy that, you know, the guy that used to bully him and kind of set him on this path to begin with by giving him the gun, you know, and then ratting him out about the gun. Yeah. um, The guy comes and pretends to, you know, be sympathetic about his mom passing when in reality he's just there because the cops are asking around. He's getting nervous and he doesn't want to get in trouble. Right. You know, he wants McKean's character, you know, you know, he wants Arthur Fleck to cover his ass, you know, whereas (laughs) the little person, he's actually sympathetic to Arthur and has been sympathetic to Arthur. Um, Yeah. I always thought that that was, and by always, I mean, yeah, I saw this movie a couple of days ago, but uh, I thought that his sparing, not not only his sparing, but his actual show of affection, or I think in a way solidarity, yeah, towards this uh, downtrodden 
towards a uh, little know, person. For, yeah. for lack of a better term, I'm not being politically correct here, but for lack of a better term, another freak, another person marginalized yeah. a, by a, common society. A midget, to be more specific. Yeah, but, you know, not in a disparaging way, but obviously a marginalized part of society yeah. that will never live a normal life, no matter how hard they try and no matter how much society expects them to be a normal individual, you know? Yeah. Like, I thought the the weirdly creepy but also kind of endearing thing about that scene where not only does uh, the big man get murdered in, like, cold blood... Well, oh, not not this, cold blood. This 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 was, was very warm blood. Yeah, this, this like this gooey, this rage. chunky, brain infested blood <laughs> smeared on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a very visceral attack that happened. What happens with the midget right after that? <laughs> oh my God, going to the door Such and a good then scene. like he and, and the, the, that's oh. a little bit there's a little bit of hangover in that scene just a little bit a tiny bit just a bit <laughs> it's just, it's just like you it, oh, there's a part boy. of it where it, it just feels like you have to laugh because he can't reach the knob he can't reach the lock it was said that he could go but he can't reach the knob oh man and then then he has the creepy giggle to himself again Maybe it's neurological. Maybe it's just really him. You know? Maybe he actually thought that moment was kind of funny and yeah. all. And you got to wonder, did he plan that? Because he's the one that locks it. He doesn't lock the other locks. He only locks the chain. That's true. So you got to wonder if he already kind of had the idea from the beginning, <laughs> which to me makes him the ultimate Joker. <laughs> because that is exactly the kind of maniacal, like, out of this world, crazy, loose genius that he should be. You know, he's not—he's not a genius in your typical sense, where he's you know in a lab formulating new plans to bring down Superman. You know, he's much more kind of random and on point and improvisational with it. Where I... he—the idea strikes him, he sets it up and lets the scene happen naturally. You know. I think that would actually, in a in a small way, go against the kind of character that they had established in this film. That would be, I think him forgetting about it or not even like thinking of that, I think is way more in line given things like the previous scene where he's looking for the card that he has to like explain his situation. Yeah. And it's not there. It's like, gosh. and he, you know, like that constant laughing and like, he doesn't have the card to explain it. So yeah, he gets beat the fuck up. Uh, I think that as an innocent oversight. God damn it. <laughs> I, I think that would be the kind of mistake that he would just naturally make and then giggle about later. Maybe. I I don't know. I, <laughs> that's the thing. That's, we don't know. We don't know. There's no way you can uh, 100% interpret that the correct way. There yeah, is there, no there, correct way. There, there's no definitive um, way to like explain that scene. Yeah. It it's fun to talk about because yeah like oh it's such a tension filled moment too oh. oh you don't know if you're he's gonna fucking kill this guy 
And this guy is, like is about as innocent a person as is in the in, in this movie. Yeah. You know, everybody else in this movie is a piece of shit. You know, from it, even his mother in certain ways is a piece of shit. You know, who is probably the nicest character in the movie. Maybe the lady down the hallway. And yeah, the kid, I was, I was gonna know. say the the lady down the but hallway. That, the results of that are kind of vague because. There's a lot yeah, to interpret there. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely left to interpretation. But this guy has been nothing but nice to Arthur the entire time. And I think Arthur even felt bad about laughing when they would make fun of him because it wasn't a voluntary thing. It was his you know, neurological condition, you know? Yeah. And he was the one guy that came to actually mourn with him and help check on him when his mom died, you know, whereas the other guy was just trying to cover his ass, you know? Um so it's interesting because you're like, is there a scrap of humanity left in this man? Or is he just so overwashed with his newfound power over people that he's just going to kill this guy right here and right now? And I thought it showed a lot of creativity and thought that he doesn't kill him in the end and sends him on his way and is even affectionate with him, you know? Yeah. And throughout this movie, I was gaining more and more of a theory and a feeling that his actions were more intentional than he was letting on. That's how I feel personally. I know you, you obviously have a, the opposite feeling whereas yeah. more random stuff just falling in line perfectly for him. But <laughs> I, I like to think that he's actually much more thoughtful about it than we, than we care to think. And that what? the, the creation of what appears to be random lucky events and spontaneous events is actually of his own making. And the, the the goal is to make you think that the performance is in and of itself random and just spontaneously happening which is why i look at that scene where he locks only the top lock and doesn't bother touching the other locks as a big indication of that yeah. personally i i mean that that i think would be more in line with like the what would be the ideal joker specifically from the comics and while i want to see that joker uh i think that's way more like joker joker and not nearly enough arthur sure in that and i can totally see that again the great thing about this movie is you can see it either way you can probably see it a whole other way and be right. completely right you know uh which is why this movie is so great and so profound uh despite oh being God, yeah you know quote unquote just a comic book movie you know um i i think the the greatest success of this comic book movie is that it is i'm gonna say nearly infinitely more than that yeah, it's outstanding. It's it it is a cultural phenomenon. Um back to running through the movie. Uh basically the guy's in dire straits, you know, his job sucks, his life sucks, everything about his life sucks. And he's kind of wishy washy with his medication. You know, he goes to these therapeutic sessions that are provided by state funding or city funding, uh, and this kind of underwhelming program that basically just tries to drug him up as much as possible and has a sensing session where the you know the therapist i guess or social worker whichever she is really isn't too invested in him beyond the basics you know that she asks the same questions every time takes it in the same direction doesn't seem to be problem solving and just you know they do some things with the journal 
and the the again adjusting the medication they talk about how he's taking probably 20 medications you know and yeah. you feel for him because he talks you know if when you're listening as the audience uh where the social worker seems to kind of be ignoring him a little bit he says you know i just hate feeling this way more or less you know i only have bad thoughts you know and that's profound because i think you know even if you don't necessarily see yourself as mentally ill i think everybody you know more or less has had a moment like that in their lives where they they felt you know at least if you're old enough you know and you didn't come from well-to-do society and only just had to ride by on you know uh i think most people have had a moment where they kind of felt like they were at rock bottom and they felt like life just wasn't going the way they thought it would. And they, you know, just saw obstacles that they just didn't think they could overcome or get through, you know, whatever the case is. And I think Arthur Fleck is clearly the extreme of this, you know, in addition to the mental illness, in addition to the malnutrition, in addition to being overly drugged up, you know, definitely. Um, it sends a lot of messages about, you know, mental health and society and seeking help. And then later in the movie, they have a very profound message when, you know, the catalyst for his turn, you know, one might argue is the scene on the subway where the guys are, you know, the rich, you know, Wall Street types are try trying to mess with him after he kind of, you know, unintentionally speaks up while the they're harassing the woman on the subway train. And, you know, they start beating the hell out of him. You know, he can't find his card to pull out and say, hey, this is why I'm laughing. I'm not mocking you. Don't please don't kill me. Don't beat me up. And he pulls the gun, shoots the guy out of self-defense. And then it escalates, you know. Right. I think a lot of people would see that as the catalyst. But I think the true catalyst for the eventual mania, the full-blown mania that we see throughout the movie, I think it's the loss of the, the program because they cut the funding for everything across the board including the social works programs which results in him no longer having a source to get his medication it results in him having nobody to talk to now and you know nobody to show his journals to and bring up concerns despite her being probably lackluster in that regard um i would agree with you like that i think uh the moment when he is told that they're shutting it all down. Yep. That, that uh, th they have no idea what to do, what to tell him, where he should go next. Mm -hmm. um, and even the yeah. therapist herself, you know, how much of this is his fantasies and how much of this is reality. But even she says, look, Arthur, I'm going to be real with you. These politicians don't give a fuck about you or me, you know. And she yeah. really gets into it with a real honest take instead of the generic therapist take, you know, because she's clearly frustrated that she's losing her position as well, you know. And they make it very clear that this is affecting everything. It's budget cuts across the board, and they're already dealing with the, the you know, the strike for the waste firm, you know, that's falling to pieces because they don't want to they can't pay them or they don't want to pay them and it seems very clear that the politicians that are running for election are more worried about their own election than actually taking care of the people they govern yeah and it sends a lot of governmental messages that i think again is where people were throwing up the alarm bells and saying oh they're trying to advocate for killing the rich and you know the poor rising up and blah 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 yeah this these are extremes you right. know and that we're not quite at that extreme yeah. 
Yeah. Um, while this movie isn't so much a uh, call to action as mm-hmm. they were fearing, this is definitely a an indictment it's, of it the culture, yeah. uh, like of current po- politics, current uh, American policy, policies, mm-hmm. specifically having to do with uh, how it is not only that we as Americans treat medically the mentally unhealthy, yeah. but how we treat socially mm-hmm. the medically unhealthy. Yeah. Or and, the mentally unhealthy, I should say. There's even more to this because, you know, I have heard some somewhat valid criticisms of the movie where people are arguing, well, it seemed very convenient that, you know, once he starts this murder, it starts a whole culture, a subculture of people obsessing with it and, because they killed some rich guys that didn't care about them. And, you know, now everybody's kind of inspired to rise up at the end where the movie and they start to riot. Now, yeah. a few things to that that complaint, which, again, I do see your point. But, A, they've established that this city is in turmoil. It's been in turmoil for a long time, largely because of the corruption in the police department. I mean, we had the you had the cops that were running through and just smacking people without regard, like literally yeah. punching them to get to <laughs> Arthur and just didn't care. They felt they were immune almost, which leads to another kind of commentary later on when the one cop, Bullock's partner, gets killed, which sets the stage yep. you know, for <laughs> Mr. Gordon to come along. Um, uh, there's so many brilliant tack ons in this movie but uh that aside uh you know the all the programs getting cut they clearly talk about how it affects everybody not just you know the mental health programs it affects the mental health programs the sanitation programs you know uh any kind of livelihood program that's relevant to everyday life for an average citizen is being cut in a city where there's already such a stark contrast you know all of these wealthy billionaires and millionaires are going to these galas and these balls every night for these, you know, fundraisers for their elections, you know, where Thomas Wayne is kind of very much Trump-like, where he calls himself kind of the savior of the city and like, hey, I have the solutions. I'm the big businessman. I look at it from a different perspective and, you know, like him or hate him, you know, Trump as a real life person, you got to see how it's relevant in this context, in this world where everything is already so much on edge And you can see why people would riot, why people would get inspired to take on maybe an attitude they wouldn't have before because things are so desperate. It's just like the French Revolution. The French Revolution happened because you had these royal aristocrats that were living in huge, outrageous mansions that that basically bankrupted the uh, the country regularly. Uh, with these huge fountains and people didn't have clean water people couldn't get food there weren't jobs you know the cities were disgusting and filled with disease and and crime and there was just nothing happening because the aristocrats were too busy having fun and having their galas and drinking their their lead wines and fucking each other you know (laughs) and these ridiculous orgies and stuff with benjamin franklin wearing his coonskin hat and rubbing up against them all you know it's it's <sighs> it's very analogous and it's still yeah. relevant because it history repeats itself and it's I, for the context of this movie i think it was done actually pretty well and pretty fairly i think they could have explained things a little bit better but i think they just didn't want to prolong the movie more than they had to i think it was right. just they cut a few corners here and there that they felt were less important to the main story because they didn't want to make this a three-hour movie um right i i think there was one thing that I think actually 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it. The scene that we all knew was going to happen. Crime Alley. I think they could have held off on that. I agree that they could have held off on that, but I think that was probably the best excuse I've ever seen for that event to happen. Because I've always found it kind of dumb that Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne as a kid and his parents leave this theater. They're billionaires, literal billionaires, and they have <laughs> they have no security with them. They don't have a limo driver. There's, you know, they don't just go out of the building and go straight into a limo or a taxi or whatever. No, they go into an alley called Crime Alley <laughs> that is adjacent to the theater or close to the theater for no apparent reason, and it's never been explained well. I think this movie, by doing that, actually showed that, hey, there is a good explanation for this, you know, because on this night, there was fucking riots going on in the street, just like when the Bronx was burning and when we had the Harlem race riots between the, you know, the Latinos and the blacks in Harlem, like, yeah, all that stuff has happened before there, you know, even in the 1800s, you know, between the race riots between the Irish and the blacks and the Italians, you know, like, yeah. Uh, New York's gone through a lot of that. Yeah, uh, and it's. I think uh, that specific moment, Crime Alley, there is exactly one reason why I think they should have held off on that. And that was so that they could have something shocking to not only, you know, pull from this movie, but to start the sequel. Yeah. Or maybe, you know the batman is like imagine <laughs> i think they had to though because i don't think they knew that they were going to get us even have the opportunity for a sequel this was such a risk and such a just you know yeah a, I, a, a I, shot in the dark i don't think they had the confidence that this was going to get a sequel or at, even have the opportunity for a sequel we still don't know if it's going to have an opportunity for a sequel i mean i i get that it makes sense. But if it were me, <laughs> if it were me, I would have had I, I would have sacked up and said, you know what? We'll film this scene, but we are totally not putting it in this film and saving it for a guaranteed sequel. Because I mean <laughs> they had to have known that Joker was gonna do well. I don't like, know, man. He's I don't literally know. It's an R-rated film in October. He he is who knows like the single greatest, most recognizable villain in all of fiction. Yeah, the Joker, <laughs> and they fucking nailed it. They they, they did, but uh, they did. You know, uh, the despite the fact that they did do it, I think that it was done very smartly. And if I had one gripe, I just wish it was acted better. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've, the guy who plays Thomas Wayne did a great job. You know, Martha was fine. Uh, but the guy that actually does the killing is kind of corny and ridiculous. And oh, yeah. The kid just doesn't do anything. Like, even he, even during his scene with Joaquin earlier in the movie, doesn't do a goddamn thing. He, he, just, he literally just stands there. He's just kind of there. I'm like, how dumb is this fucking kid? <laughs> like, I know kids are dumb, but not that dumb. Come on, guy. I, I mean, I get it. Have it's, some kind of emotion, dude. It's like it's the '80s. 
And it, like as an only child to like probably the richest person in the world, I totally saw Baron Trump in that kid. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna lie. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of analogies to real life people. There is, are. I don't oh know if it's God. intentional. It probably isn't intentional, but it it feels intentional. Um, I just now imagined Baron Trump growing up to be the Batman. <laughs> so we get further into the film. Um, I'm trying, I need to see it again. I can't remember. Did his following the woman, well, yeah. Did the following the woman scene come before or after the subway killings? I think he followed her before, but I feel like she came to his door after, right? Uh, the, the following the woman, uh, definitely came before because, uh, there's a scene after the killings happen that uh, the girl that he imagines himself with uh, also remarks on the the newspaper that was talking about the uh, the mask killer. Yeah, so uh, it's definitely creepy vibes. There. It's very creepy. It's <laughs> that super duper. Creepy. We talk about how intensely tension filled the scene with the the little person trying to reach the lock after he just witnessed Joaquin's you know Arthur Fleck murdering oh this, this pretty large dude you know oh. in cold blood uh the scene where he's following her oh man it gets rough and I mean they set it up very well with Zazie beats his character you know meeting him in the elevator and then doing the you know that yeah you know, jokingly you know any normal situation you'd be like oh all right uh, we'll never talk again uh yeah but no this this is the catalyst for this obsession for arthur fleck and again calling back to king of comedy where he's obsessed with this woman you know and has all these fantasies you know about what he's doing with her and getting married to her and all it, sorts of stuff like imagining her with him in uh <sighs> This was the part of the movie that I saw coming from like a mile off. And I was like, am, am I assuming that this is not real because I know this character? Is it because I know how movies work? Or yeah. is it because like, I, I don't know where the line of like my experience with movies and comics ends and my expectations for this film began. Yeah. But it was well done. Like, I I knew that that moment was, tr like, they were going to go for a shock yeah. later, and I predicted the shock completely. Mm -hmm. I predicted it so well that I literally looked to my left and my right just to see their responses. <laughs> <laughs> like the well, the people in this theater, it yeah. was like, are they are they going to be shocked by this? It's, this it's like funny this... you bring that up because I I went to see this movie with uh, our buddy Shane who had uh, has been on the Hit the Mats podcast, a wrestling podcast, once or twice before, hmm. uh, specifically for our WrestleMania prediction cast. Um, uh, we went to see it together and we were real excited. We saw it on Saturday, I want to say, and um, I called it. Almost immediately. Basically, the elevator scene, I was like, is this going to be what I 
think it's gonna be. Yeah. And then when she comes after he follows her around all day and sees her walk into the bank, and then she comes to his door. Yeah. And she she's very confrontational at first. She you know, it's like were you following me today? You know, like you fucking creep. But <laughs> then he says something that she interprets as like a joke or as something clever. You know, that suddenly makes it not creepy. That's the moment where I'm like, oh, okay, yep. I see what's going on here. Yeah, that was like the 100% confirmed. <laughs> this is this is not a real thing, and if it is a real thing, this director is a fucking moron. <laughs> and thankfully, I was right; it wasn't the real thing. And in that context, is brilliant, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, if he had done something else with it, then it would be, oh, oh, you misstep oh, there, buddy. Yeah, ooh, no. There's a reason for concern, then you know. Yeah, I was like. I knew that there were like there was one way which I knew it was gonna go and there was another way it was like if he does what I think he could possibly do like don't you dare already bring <laughs> another fucking Harley Quinn into this bullshit because I yeah. swear to Christ <laughs> now I actually, like if that was something that he did in this movie I was like oh my god I actually had a theory for the end of this movie and I'll let you in on it once we get there but uh yeah um when this was happening uh I was pretty much in on it the whole time especially when he started she started talking about how he should come rob her bank or whatever and like I don't remember the exchange. It was much more organic than that, so it did yeah. seem like a funny kind of lighthearted moment, you know, where you almost kind of sympathize with him. And I can see how you might have gotten fooled by that, but I think if you had any kind of social awareness, I think you'd be like, "Oh, yeah. there's something fishy going on here." And if you know the Joker character and you know the movie The King of Comedy, you really oh, know what yeah. you really catch up <laughs> on, on what's going on. Um, and I, my, it's like the minute I made the King of Comedy connections, like I see what's yeah. happening. Here. And I don't think my, my our buddy Shane really picked up on it right away because I leaned over to him like, dude, he's imagining this. This is all fantasy during that scene. He's like, you think? I don't know, man. <laughs> and then sure enough, it gets more and more ridiculous with his fantasies. And to their credit, King of Comedy, I think this is actually one of the things they didn't do well, where they didn't obscure the line very well. It was very clear what was a fantasy and what wasn't, you know? Yeah. And it was very clear where his delusions started and ended. This movie, I think, was much more subtle, much more intelligent about it. Not to say Scorsese did it in an unintelligent way. It was just a different time, you know? Yeah, the, like the, leaving the ambiguity there until yeah. like the, the reveal yeah, of I, that moment. I do that like was... how much they respected the audience to kind of figure it out on their own, and which I always love when directors do that. I love it when they give us the respect as an audience to be intelligent enough to pick up on vibes and messages on our own, you know? And not just that, the them going as far as... You don't have to say as, it and spell it out for us, right. is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Rule number one that I remember from uh, going to film school is show, don't tell. Yeah. It, which was great. I was I was so involved in this in a good way. I, I loved it so much. I liked even like the hospital scene where his mom's you know sick at the hospital after having her stroke. And she's there with him, rubbing his back and saying, hey, I'm going to go get some coffee. You want some? And he nods, you know. Yeah. And then she never comes back. 
Yeah. If you're if you're paying attention, she, <laughs> she never, never comes back. She never returns to the room while he's sitting there fantasizing about all these other things when he sees the TV, you know. And again, it blurs the line between what's real and what's not, you know. What is he fantasizing? What's what's he not fantasizing? Did he get the phone call, you know? Yeah. Or did he just show up, you know? <laughs> it's hard to say, you know. You can interpret it in a lot of ways, and I choose to interpret it in one way, but uh I think that that should bring us to the end of this movie. Well, we got some key points that we we should probably touch on here before oh, we get there. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, which which ones? Well, uh, first of all, we have to talk about the conclusion of that, where he goes into her apartment. Oh. This is this is oh. the moment. You know, the following moment was very tense filled and like that one was probably the hardest one for me to watch was him following her, not knowing what he was going to end up doing. Yeah, that was probably the hardest moment. But when he goes into her in her into her apartment while she's tucking her kid into the bed because she forgot to lock the door and he just walked in and he's feeling around everything and he's feeling covered and he's looking at the little crayon pictures that her daughter had had drawn and he sits on the couch there and just covered in rain, you know, from from the outside. And he's still in his delusion, you know, clearly that they're in a relationship and they've been together a little while, you know, and that she came to his comedy show and that she was there when at the hospital when his mother was sick and all these things. And she comes out and gasps and goes in pure terror. Yeah. And very clearly, you know. She doesn't know what to do. What can she do? You know, there's this fucking man that's, you know, from down the hall that has come into her house, broken into her her apartment, you know, in the slums. She lives alone. She's got a child behind her that she has to protect. You know, this is before cell phones. She can't just dial 911 right there. She has to get to the phone in the kitchen, you know. And if she does that, then she leaves her, her child unprotected. And if she does run for the phone, what's the guarantee that, he won't kill her anyway, you know, or before she can get there. one will show up in time. Yeah, because you can't trust the cops. And guess who else got their budget cut? The police. Yeah. Um. So it's, there's so many layers upon layers of fear in this moment. Oh, my God. Where it, it stops being the kind of sympathetic potential murderer and psychopath where you can kind of see his point of view where it, eh, the subway guys were being assholes. They were harassing this woman. They were going to probably beat him up, if not kill him, you know, and they're drunken, you know, stupid antics. And he was defending himself and shot one of them. And then he took it a little too far. But, hey, he was at, at the core of things defending himself. Uh, did he have to chase the guy down? No, not necessarily. But, you know, he did. Yeah. With his mother, you know, his mother abused him as a child and lied to him or maybe lied to him. Who knows? But there's a lot of pen up anger and animosity there. I mean, she was very verbally abusive and didn't believe in his comedy act and told him to do something else or find something else, this, be somebody else, you know. This um, felt like vindication for him in that moment. Yeah, and then his his work associate, the big guy that came over and that he murdered in the, the apartment, you know, later on, all of these things felt justified. Even the, the talk show host that made fun of him on live TV, you know, yeah. made fun, making fun of his act and playing it for everybody. You know, and wanted to bring him on to show how stupid he was not to honor him or, you know, you know, which is a narcissistic thing in and of, of itself. But it is also kind of a cruel thing from the talk show hosts. Right. You know, even Thomas Wayne in his 
you know point of being you know this kind of somewhat corrupt billionaire who's kind of questionable morally and doesn't seem to be quite you know the shining ray of sunshine that <laughs> bruce always seemed to portray him as in the comics you know yeah and in previous batman incarnations um everybody that gets killed by fleck in this movie you can kind of see an argument for why he did it you may not agree with it and you probably shouldn't agree with it for the most part but you can see why you can yeah. kind of sympathize yeah. this one is the full maniacal fuck what do we do here <laughs> is this where he crosses over completely to the dark side because there is no moral ambiguity here this is an innocent person period you know there there's a lot of tension in, in the scene with a little person because of this this even more so because you know he's been obsessed with her and he's been creating these fantasies with her in mind this yeah. entire time. And you notice who wasn't in those fantasies? Her child. That's right. And I think that's how you can tell what was a real scene with her and what wasn't a real scene with her. I think like, any where scene the where the child, child in there, I think that was clearly a real scene, like in the elevator and at the end where he's in her apartment. I think the scenes where sh the child is nowhere to be found, I think those are the fantasy scenes. And I think that's how they convey that in a subtle way. Um, because sh the child is not part of that fantasy. And yeah. I think the child may have been, if I interpret it my way, the person who called the police when you see the sirens rushing behind. Yeah, I think the the thing that I could see this sort of lending to the shock moment is where the line gets blurred as to what's real and what's fake literally starts with him following her. And you'll notice that he starts following her like all the way up to the point in which she drops off her child. Mm -hmm. And it's after that moment and all the way up until he shows up randomly in her apartment yeah that that child is nowhere to be seen yeah it's like the which you, you gotta wonder you know if the kid you know is being raised by a single mother where's this kid when she's at the hospital where's this kid when they're on their date you know where's this king when she goes to the comedy club you know yeah it's a late night comedy club how, how is she there you know <laughs> It, uh, it, it raises so many questions or like it should yeah. immediately in that like at the moment when you realize that he's been making it up in his head mm -hmm. like the question of likely how, how <laughs> where where does reality end and his fantasy begin yeah it's so great it's so clever it's so fucking clever and even though you might want to call it out for copying a lot of the things that happen in King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, both with the delusional aspect and with the empowered aspect when he kills somebody for the first time and he's in the bathroom like dancing and being theatric because he feels empowered for the first time in his entire life. He feels empowered. You know, he has some kind of control over the world. There, that That's very Taxi Driver. Or, yeah, there yeah. is actually a moment uh specifically at that reveal that if i'm not mistaken reminds me a lot of fight club <laughs> really <laughs> yeah uh specifically like when it does show all of those previous scenes where zazzy beats his character was there 
and then they kind of like blink Show and without, yeah. yeah, blink and she's I, not yeah, there. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, yeah they they fucking Tyler Durdened her out of those shots, <laughs> um, and it worked. Uh, it yes, a, it was so effective too. Yeah, even was, as a person that saw it coming a mile away, and I, as I expect you did as well. Yeah, it worked so well. It, the, it created such even knowing what was going to happen, there was so much emotional tension there. Yeah, and I think it's like showing all of those things very quickly like and then like immediately getting back to the moment that we're in right now where this uh mentally unhealthy person is in this innocent person's apartment yeah and make no mistake she's innocent full goddamn stop yeah there's there's it, no ambiguity about that yeah the, innocent like, bystander yeah totally the, uninvolved <laughs> this, this movie does nothing to make uh, any bones about her being any kind of uh, person who was un like acted untoward or acted any kind of like mean or yeah not nice to him at all, and for that scene to like kind of in its own way abruptly like move forward to he's just leaving the apartment. What the fuck happened? Do I hear sirens? Yeah, I, I love it, dude. I it's oh so God. brilliant because you don't know what happened through the end of the credits. You don't know what happened, right? Did he kill her? Did he rape her? Did he leave her alone? Did he, you know, did he kiss her on the head and walk out like he? What the fuck happened? What happened? Yeah, and the police it's, never come to his building. That that was, I think. The you know? most effective mystery that they did was like, oh, we're we're just we're not even going to show how this resolves. It's yeah, just, it just it shows, which is it. more terrifying than the act itself, right? Which is crazy. Like yeah. that's why Joker without an origin is usually so crazy and creepy for me, right? And scary for me because there's so much ambiguity and you don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, it's like, does she like? Because when he's walking away, that door doesn't close. There's no sound coming out of there or anything. Nope. It's like, is she just in her, you know, her daughter's apartment? Mm -hmm. or not her daughter's apartment. In her daughter's room? Uh-huh. Are they both dead? We'll never know. What the it's fuck amazing. happened? You know, you gotta wonder where those... <laughs> You know, was that ambulance behind him a fantasy too? Was it just a coincidence that an ambulance was driving by? Did, was the ambulance coming to them because you know the kid called nine one one after his mom got raped or murdered or something? Did he kill both the mother and the kid? You know, this is, and, and just left them in there. You know, because nobody is, came knocking at his door. You know, a scene is effective at mystery. When you immediately come up with a like about a thousand different scenarios, oh yeah, as to why and there's like, so many ways you could spin it. Yeah, it's like why is there nothing happening in that door? It's like I see him walking back to his apartment, but nothing's happening at that door. No, it's <laughs> incredible. It's such effective filmmaking. It's such effective storytelling. Even when you know what's coming, 
you still don't know what's coming right which is incredible i love it it's it's i think that 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 scene alone paints what this movie is in my mind it's there's so much interpretation and respect for the audience and it's so refreshing from any movie right now yeah not just superhero movies and it's exceptional that it's in a superhero slash villain <laughs> movie you know in a comic it, book movie it, i should say yeah um for it to be like one of the only movies that's come out with within i'm going to say i maybe the last five to ten years that hasn't spoon fed you the plot. Yeah, and I mean, th- I I have trouble even coming up with a movie that respected me that much as yeah. an, as a viewer and respected my personal intelligence as a viewer that much. And I can't I can't thank Todd Phillips enough for the way he did it. I I think he did a wonderful job. Um, this. And, uh, that's why be, I, did, I couldn't yeah. let the scene go. I, yeah. We have to talk about this yeah. scene. Yeah, we did. Uh, oh, my God. That, yep. like, that scene alone, I think, would be a resume builder for yeah. Todd Phillips. Absolutely. Oh, like, I mean, that guy's guaranteed a job for life. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, after this, like, there's no way. There's no way he's not getting to do anything he wants to do, as long as the people he wants to do it with are available. Right. You know? um please joaquin phoenix please and that makes me happy because i think other than really jj abrams there's really nobody in this generation of directors that can really do that that can really go ask for a blank check you know there's old ones from the old guard you know scorsese can always do it quentin tarantino can always do it you know spielberg could spielberg could still do it if he wanted to um cameron james cameron you know but (sighs) <laughs> Todd Phillips is the new guard, and that it's really refreshing to see him come into his own in this movie. Um, the other scene that I think is really important to at least touch on is everything involving his mother, especially the ending, where he, he kills his mother himself, where he suffocates her with a pillow. Um, it, it uses the line from the trailer. It's like, I notice that, and it's like, oh... Yeah, he he puts the the f bomb in there, which you know I always f- found it funny for like all of the hype surrounding the Joker and it's like oh my god it's rated R yeah it's like I've always wanted a trailer to kind of showcase what some of that R is, and you know that I wish the trailer had actually you know hit me with that f-bomb a little bit yeah it's hard to sell to an audience though if you're trying to buy ad time that's you know? true and I they mean, were already struggling for ad time as it was with all the fucking harley quinn advertisements you know <laughs> they clearly didn't get the promotion budget uh which is why this movie's gonna keep printing money for dc and warner brothers because they're they already more than you know tripled or quadrupled you know their investment and it's only going to get bigger from here you know yeah. as it opens globally in all these territories and obviously people should be returning for multiple screenings i i definitely am because i just think there's so much to interpret and so many clues to pick up on throughout the movie um i i think i probably missed a lot and i would like to see more <laughs> you know yes uh, this uh, movie demands multiple viewings in my opinion this movie this movie showcased the potential that movies based on comic books have. Yeah. Like this, like you could, 
genuinely go pretty art house with a lot of the properties out there. Yeah. And it's like, this is a perfect example of what an art house comic book movie would look like. Yeah. And I think uh, this scene in particular is very telling for the character that Arthur Fleck is becoming at the end of the movie here, where he, you know, he goes looking for answers after he reads the letter his mom was writing. His mom's been writing these letters to Thomas Wayne talking about how he was such a great, nice man and how she worked for him for what was it like 20 years or something like that yeah um and how you know she's she thinks he's going to be the saving grace and the saving hope and then he reads the letter and it's all this writing about how arthur is her son and his son and you know this estranged affair on the side and how they you know she agreed to keep quiet about it you know to protect him you know and protect his marriage with martha and protect his image you know as a big business man and CEO and politician and all of these things, all of the above that you would expect from a corrupt situation like this, where you got a bastard child. Um, yeah. And Arthur Oof. demands answers and, you know, he has this little fight with his, with his mom or his man, mom's demanding that he stops being angry. Cause she probably knows she's in danger with this individual. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like you raised him that way or something. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he goes and confronts Thomas Wayne at the, the ball. He sneaks in there in a bellhop uniform and confronts him. And Thomas, you know, says, hey, your mom was crazy, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is, you're crazy too. Get out of my way. And if you ever touch my kid again, I'll fucking kill you and punches him in the face, you know. That scene actually brings up something that I think might make him more in line with the the image that you have, Joker. Who the fuck just actually dons a disguise? That's what and I'm saying. Goes into. I think a, he sees a residence. Yeah, not a residence. A, a movie theater. I think he's smarter than people let on. I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I had a, another friend, you know, who liked the movie a lot as well. But he had one complaint and that he didn't feel like the Joker was smart enough because he always saw the Joker as like this smart guy who was coming, you know, who was a chemist, you know, that was able to concoct these different, you know, you know, gas bombs and gas people. And I, it's more of a cartoony comic booky thing, but he yeah. that's the version of Joker he likes. And that's what he was hoping to see some more cerebral right. he, intelligence from. Yeah, he, I think he was very into the uh, the gadgetry. Yeah, which is a fair criticism if that's your Joker. Uh, but for me personally, uh, shout out to Edward, by the way, uh, for me personally, um, I think he's much more intelligent than the audience is let in on i think if again because the director respects you and your ability to read between the lines i think he's actually very intelligent and you know and i think that a lot of this movie especially after he gets off his meds is just him setting the stage for chaos to happen and i think he's more in on things than we we know and that's like you said it's kind of display the way he kind of sneaks in and gets a bellhop uniform and plays the role to get into the this billionaire event where all these high profile people are there you know and just waltz waltz around like he owns the place you know um yeah uh, i will say that his portrayal of engaging in that activity 
uh, as well as with like a lot of the scenes with Arthur, it seems as though this is a child doing all this, like playing at being adult. Yeah. And my personal, the way I choose to interpret, I, it could be right. It could be wrong. And I fully acknowledge that, but my, the way I personally interpret things is that he's setting the stage. But I choose to interpret it that he is actually much more in on the the joke than we are let in on. I think he's setting the stage and he's performing for an audience, whether that be us or uh, whether that just be himself, you know, Uh, because at at the end of the night, he's a performer. That's how he sees himself, whether it's as a clown or as a comedian or as just an actor or whatever you want to say. This is the world is his stage and he's here to perform for it, you know. And that's how I kind of read into his mania a little bit. And I think he's much more intelligent than he lets on. Uh, I did like the creepy scene where he's, you know, coming up to the gate because he's trying to find answers. And because <laughs> he believes that Thomas Wayne is his father and that Bruce is his brother, his half brother. Yeah. Uh, I have heard some concerns about like what kid would let some creepy adult just like reach into his mouth and do the smile thing. I think that was probably a bit much, but to be fair, kids are fucking dumb. And yeah, I I would say that actually makes sense specifically for the 80s because like one of the big scares that was happening around then was random child abduction. Yeah. And when did the was it Cassidy murders? Uh, where he dressed as a clown and murdered kids? Yeah, I think yeah. that that was I think that was the 80s as well. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was the 80s, but it was, you know, yeah, that, within that those th- decades, you know, yeah, that is a thing that happened. Uh, so yeah, it's there's concern <laughs> there, and again, this is a world without cell phones and without you know everyday you know advertisements telling kids to stay away from strangers. You know that stuff didn't start coming around till like the '90s. Where this, hey, right. don't get in the stranger's car if they offer you candy. Kids were just doing stupid shit because they're stupid. You yeah, know, this is uh, and, late '80s, early '90s. Uh, yeah, it was like it would have made sense right around that PSAs, time. PSAs, yeah. For like a child who's probably intensely sheltered, yeah, to not really have the wherewithal to think. Sure, this this guy, I don't know this guy. His hand is in my mouth. Yeah, what um, and it, what is what is with DC and having their villains put their hands in people's mouths? <laughs> have a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, I, uh, uh, why? Stop it! You're Lex Luthor, <laughs> you ass. Stop being stupid. It's it like. For the Joker, that makes sense. <sighs> For uh, what should be the a worst. fucking like the worst. I can't, we we don't have time to no, talk about. We this don't movie. have time. We, gotta stop. we don't have time. We gotta stop. Focus on Joker. We'll, we'll talk for an hour. <laughs> yes, we will <laughs> about oh that my fucking God. movie, uh, <laughs> like we always do. <laughs> but uh, you know, even if you kind of put your disbelief aside for a second for that scene, I think it actually creates a cool depth moment for Alfred. Oh, yeah. If Thomas Wayne really did frame her and set her up to be crazy and send her to an institution, you know, and create adoption papers for him, you know, if the photo at the the end of that sequence is to be believed where it says, you know, TH, you know, that gorgeous smile or something like that. And it's got a picture of her and it's in Thomas Wayne's handwriting. You know, if you choose to interpret that's his mania, so be it. But if it's real and again, how do you know <laughs> if it's real and it was a setup because he wanted to hide the fact that he had a bastard child, then Alfred's in on it. 
And that, not only is Alfred in on it, that would make him most likely complicit in probably getting her fired. Yep, and a lot more, because he was intimately aware of her. He even talked about how long she worked for them and how she went crazy at the end and stuff like that. Like, he right. knew the timeline of her life. Yeah. And uh, if he is in on it, and it, you know, if you can certainly interpret it that way, then there's a lot more depth and darkness to Alfred's character than we realize as well, you know, yeah. which is my favorite type of Alfred. I li- <laughs> I love an Alfred that has scars and has secrets. Alfred's in the dark. That's my favorite Alfred. And that I like to interpret Alfred raising Bruce on his own and doing everything he can to steer Bruce in the correct moral direction as a type of personal redemption like trying to forgive himself for his sins of the past, whether that be being a, you know, special forces soldier for the British empire, you know, or, you know, even doing some nefarious things under Thomas Wayne's watch or something like that. I love that kind of interpretation. And if that is the correct interpretation, it's brilliant. Um, I just want there to be a story that actually like, apart from how Gotham tried to justify it, how, the fuck does an someone who's a former SAS uh, British spy ever, at least in my mind, lower themselves to buttling for the rich? Yeah, and I can see it in that context. Yeah, you know, it's like in that context, it, it makes a little more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we got to get to the end of the movie. We're running out of camera time here. Yeah, um, big finish. Very reminiscent of King of Comedy, where he gets his invite to the the show that he fantasizes throughout the movie. He's having these fantasies where he goes and meets his idol, which is this talk show host, this late night host, a very Johnny Carson type of person. Um, And he goes on the show and has all these fantasies about really setting up a great act as a stand-up comedian and getting invited to the couch and talking through with the guests and everything. And he actually gets to live it. And he shows up dressed in the full Joker makeup and ready to go. And he's a totally different person than the person you saw at the beginning of the movie, which makes you kind of wonder how much of this is fantasy and how much of this is reality. You don't know. Um I like to believe that it's real. I think I like to believe that this is him coming into his own and accepting what he is and who he is and going full force into it. Uh, you have this great sequence where he's very theatrically coming out. I kind of I'm kind of bummed that the trailer spoiled the. Mo- the biggest reason why I would actually go in the direction of saying that uh, what happened at uh, the show. Uh, live with Murray, I think Daenerys' character yep, was called. Uh, I would say that I think that that was actually a fabrication, or at least I'm interpreting that entire scene as a fabrication in his mind. If for no other reason, then I find all of Murray's reference to this one very first stand-up that uh, he did, or at least I'm assuming he did, um, because it, uh, in order for that to be a thing that makes any kind of sense, we'd have to concede that somehow, not only did we have uh, a camera of any decent quality uh, recording... Yeah. In the 80s, like early 80s, 
but we were doing it for a comic that not only no one had ever heard of before, but that uh, this stand-up, not stand-up, this uh, late-night talk show host would even care. (laughs) Yeah. I think this is one of those points of the movie where if they chose to do it this way, they could have added a little bit more context to this, like made it so that it was like a recurring segment on his show where they'd make fun of right. a bad comic at the local venue in, in Gotham, you know? Right. If and they, they had set up like some sort of like semblance of a history of him yeah. doing this. Then that I could understand. Or if they at least showed that they, you know, pre-screened comics when they showed the he was watching the episode earlier and a comic came out. Yeah. If they had showed in that example that he had a president for doing that. Then I can understand, because I'm sure a lot of shows do that, where they pre-screen videos of comedians at local venues and try to get them in. I know Laugh Factory has a bad reputation for that, where they not only record the comedians, but then they release their content without asking them or without paying them, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, Which is pretty (laughs) gross. uh, But uh, Which, that could be an example of what uh, the movie is conceding is happening here. Yeah, and that's one of those few criticisms that people have had where it's like, oh, that's awfully convenient that that came up. And if your point is correct, that it's all fantasy and that it's just him creating these things, who the fuck knows, you know? Uh, yeah. It's brilliant, you know? <laughs> uh, but I I choose to believe that they probably cut some explanation out of this just to streamline the movie a little better to keep the pacing up. Yeah. Um Especially at the end where things are finally getting to a full head of steam and, you know, we got to get to the climax of the movie, which is that visceral gunshot to the head. Yeah. Which is almost as visceral as the first time he shoots the gun where in a very taxi driver moment, he's dancing with the gun and kind of showing off with it in the mirror. And, you know, and then he accidentally pulls the trigger and shoots the wall. And Yeah, that was very taxi driver, but in like the best way. Yeah, it was great. And it, again, just showing how gross his body is when he got that thin. Oh, man, he loves shoving out that rib cage, man. Uh, he did do a lot of dancing. Yeah. Like a lot. I mean, uh, I like to dance, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go murdering a bunch of people and stalking some random woman. Yeah. Hey, why'd you murder that guy? Uh, he, uh, he, he wronged me. He hurt me. Why'd you murder the others, too? I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> I do like when uh, Murray's asking him why he killed him or whatever. Yeah. And he has that, that great line where he talks about how his, <laughs> yeah, like bad intonation or something like that. Or is, you know, he was out of step or something, you know, referring to when he was singing that song and dancing around, which who knows if that was a fantasy, you know? Yeah. I think he might have created that himself, you know? Kind of West Side Story esque villain, you know? <laughs> You know, that sort of thing, you know? Uh, Like, imagine for a moment that you have somehow, uh, what's the word? Isolated yourself with three uh, upper-class people who all know a song, specifically a song about bringing out the clowns. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's fair. Very on point. You got to wonder if that's a fantasy. Is this real? <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder if that's his power fan. Maybe these guys really were just 
there. <laughs> and he created this whole narrative where he was the victim and, you know, yeah, then that, shot him, you know, an, and hunted him down, you know, yeah. literally t- chased the guy from station to station and shot him dead on the stairs, you know. Maybe that was the real <laughs> the real message there. And again, brilliant by this movie because there's so much to interpret so much you can read into this you know yeah so many multiple interpretations that completely fit this movie Uh, it's so brilliant so clever so you know crescendo he comes out in this big theatric introduction he's actually kind of impressing everybody because they expected this guy to be a complete clown you know figuratively not literally (laughs) yeah and the guy comes dressed as a clown is actually very you know enthusiastic and comes on very well and the audience kind of likes him you know and he makes out with the kind of like sex doctor that's uh, (laughs) on the show you know uh, unexpectedly a a dr ruth type yeah very much so and uh (laughs) which is a great moment like i was like damn i am I might be supporting this Joker more than I should. And again, <laughs> it messes with your head because it makes you like him sometimes and it makes you sympathize with him even though you know what he's doing is wrong and what he's going to do is wrong. Yeah. And I love how they kind of framed it, you know, for I think this is one of the things that you and I would probably catch up caught up on and probably, you know, we're like, "Oh, I see what's going to happen here." But I think some audience members may have not picked up the hints and like thought he really was going to kill himself on the stage, you know, and end it right there. Yeah. Which I think would also have been a brilliant move if they actually went through with it. But I think it was actually cleverer how they handled it, you know? Yeah. I I think uh, the reason why I much more appreciate uh, the way they did go with it as opposed to the way that they were kind of foreshadowing it like a maybe yeah. he would go through with the suicide uh, actually committing to killing the talk show host uh, is actually, in my opinion, uh, the best way to actualize the Joker. Yeah, and I love, again, it's reminiscent of the Dark Knight Returns scene where he kills everybody in the audience with gas after being introduced as a reformed criminal, you know? Yeah. Where he already has kind of the notoriety on this Johnny Carson-esque show. You know, it's reminiscent of King of Comedy where he kidnaps the host and forces (laughs) him to watch his stand-up act and, you know, he records himself on the stage and plays it back and, you know, all these crazy things. And it's even reminiscent of King of Comedy where they zoom out on the TV screens after he murders him and they show all the footage on all the different news stations because in king of comedy there's a scene like that at the very end where yeah you it's hard to interpret whether it's really happening or whether it's his fantasy again (laughs) but there's all these news reports about what happened how he kidnapped the guy and then he went to jail and then he got out of jail after serving two years of his six years for kidnapping and then he wrote a book about it and became famous anyway you know (laughs) and is that his fantasy or is that the reality it's like it's kind of up to you to to interpret yeah it was like the entire time you're taken along for this ride yeah and i find it interesting that the movie it doesn't just go out of its way to make you wonder whether or not like how much of this was in his mind but they they keep pushing that question to the point of like actually questioning the implications like like if that really happened 
Oh my god. Yeah, it's nuts. It's like one of the, you know, have you ever seen one of those branching choose your own adventure books where they have to plot everything out in a diagram and it's just like spider webs of spider webs of spider webs, you know, branching out ex- yeah. exponentially almost, you know. That's what this movie feels like. Like every time that you question the reality of the situation, it goes in two different directions for interpretation. And then those interpretations get broken in half. And then those interpretations get broken in half. Yeah. And it just keeps happening. <laughs> so no matter how many times you see this movie, you can come up with your own personal feeling on it, you know, like you and I clearly have. Or you could go in a totally different direction and be miles and miles away from us on a different planet you know, with your interpretation, which is so crazy for this movie, literally and figuratively. It's just, yeah. it works so well. And I was, I started feeling a little disappointed when they zoomed out on the cameras because I thought that was going to be the end. I thought oh. they were going to, I thought it was going to be the last little, you know, wink at the audience for the people that had seen King of Comedy. <clears throat> and they were going to end there, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's what—that's where I was like, okay, this is the 10. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> they're giving me anything I could imagine and then some. And they're challenging me in a way I never expected to be challenged. And <laughs> I just, I could not help myself. You know, I was just so invested at the end there where they have the scene that's kind of a homage to, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker where he's staring out the window of the cop car and the Heath Ledger movie is kind of leaning out of the cop car, but similar vibe, you know? Yeah. And the cop was a very interesting homage. And I I loved how the cop leaned back and said, you did this, you freak, you know, look what you've done. He goes, yeah, isn't it beautiful? You know? (laughs) And like the riots are happening again. People are going like, well, why would people rally around this murderer and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, again, New York City experienced this already. It's not a thing that just is unheard of, you know. Murders happen and then the race riots happen, you know, with, you know, the Latinos and blacks in Harlem, you know. And <clears throat> yeah, I think the 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 thing that makes the most sense with why they would rally around him is I mean, they set this up very like not early in the movie, but like right around the end of like the first act where like he kills those three people yeah Uh, like leaning as heavily as we can into the uh class warfare that was happening at that time yeah uh like to lean that far in it to essentially have that murderer be looked at as a hero and to have like the discussion kind of in the background happening like with people like can you believe what happened here is like you're not supposed to just go around and kill rich people and like half of the people are asking is like was that you did you really do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's nuts man and it, it works for me it works and i don't i i understand people's criticisms of like oh that was kind of convenient but i think if something that crazy had happened in that type of era and those types of circumstances where it was that dire, where your public utilities were falling apart, you know, people were on strike because they weren't, nobody wanted to pay them what they were due, you know, what they yeah. were worth. The city's falling apart. The infrastructure's falling apart. You have these corrupt billionaires and millionaires taking office for themselves and spending every night at these galas, you know, where they're jacking off to themselves, you know, <laughs> while everybody else is starving and living in, you know, dumps and, you know, just, people are cruel to each other because they just can't sympathize and empathize with each other's point of views and they're all taking these shit jobs and just 
every fabric of society you could imagine is falling apart. Social services is falling apart. Funding's getting cut. You know, everything you could imagine. These people are at their wits' end by the end of this, and they already had a little bit of inspiration with the murder of the the high class society people uh, on the subway. And then things just keep growing with the instances of the protests at the bank, you know, early in the movie, protests at the gala, at the fundraiser, protests at the uh, Thomas Wayne's little, uh, you know, rallies and stuff like that. Like, there's been a president set here. And this huge, you know, national TV network murder of this rich asshole host who is ridiculing him on live television, you know, and announcing the context of the murders and everything, and then calling out society as a whole and, and yeah, and the elite as a whole on this network. And that <laughs> might just do it. All right. <laughs> that might just trigger things, you know, whether you like it or not, it's an aspect of human society, you know? Yeah. Like all it takes is one mildly charismatic person to, even uh, if that's not their intent, like yeah. it's very much demonstrated here. That's not his intent. He yeah, even explicitly n- says this is not a political action at the beginning. Yeah, and, no, that was yeah. entirely personal yeah. for him. Like that that entire movement rising up like immediately after that that was icing. Yeah. On his uh come up and cake. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And then the follow through where he's you know, the ambulance has been kind of hijacked by the gangs and the, the rioters and they crash into the cop car and the, he they pull him out like he's like some kind of messiah almost, you know. Yeah. Now, if you wanted messiah imagery, Zack Snyder, please take note because <laughs> this is how you do it. it yeah. You know, not having Superman come down from the heavens like some giant pompous asshole, you know. Uh, or having him killed in his second fucking movie. <sighs> so ridiculous we yeah. can't have tangents no 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 don't have time no but time they pull him out and kind of carry him through the crowd and kind of wakes up and then you have a great kind of iconic moment that i think is going to be remembered for a while where he pulls the blood from the wreckage out of his mouth and then smears it on his face into a smile like that is joker that is top-notch perfect i couldn't envision it better joker that is the clown prince of crime yeah, and that's where the comic bookiness kind of comes into it but i think it works because it sets the scene so perfectly and he's just he doesn't care about getting caught he's not running he's just there he's just embracing what is happening and enjoying the show he's performing he's dancing on top of the cop car and you know getting the rioters worked up more and more and more that and again there's interpretation here did he just fantasize that because in the end he ends up in the asylum this did they come and catch him later or did he just fantasize that he was out partying with these rioters this is the end that i have been wanting to talk about this entire time it's brilliant because it when you make an end like this where we're back with him, he's in the asylum talking to someone, it would be very easy to assume that what he'd been talking about was the entire movie and how he got there. Yeah. But we find him immediately when he's there, he's laughing. And what is his response to the question, what's so funny? 
you wouldn't get it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so... Br- oh, I'm getting goosebumps again, dude. It's now, so smart. Now It's the, so intelligent. The thing that kills me, the thing that really just drives the power of this movie home for me... Yeah. ...is the ambiguity. Yeah. I mean... What was all of that? Was all of that made up? Which, if you imagine the all of these branching different scenarios, if there's just one thread at the end of all of them, that yes or no, this was all in his head the entire time he's been in the asylum the entire time. You circle all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> Fucking crazy, <laughs> literally. What if what if the joke that the Joker's laughing at is that this is this origin story is completely fabricated. Oh man, it's so smart. <laughs> and then it, and then even like, the end oh. everything open to interpretation. And what are the chances that he's with the same social worker? That he was with at the beginning that got defunded at the asylum. Oh. What are the chances, man? Oh. It's so. I, I have to go back and watch that. If for we no have other to. reason, <laughs> I need to confirm that that's the same social worker. Yeah. Because it, if it is. Oh, it is. It's the same social worker. And then it's very heavily suggested that he murders her. <laughs> Which, again, is it a fantasy? Is he fantasizing about murdering her and then running out of the room you know, with blood on his feet and getting chased by the guards? You it, know? Yeah. Oh, man. It's so smart. It's so intelligent. And then the way they end it, like it's a happy ending, you know, where he's running back and forth and they got the script sideways, like the Gone with the Wind script, you know? Brilliant. <laughs> Fucking nailed it. <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. Yeah, all, from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, everything is in question. That ending sets up for that to happen, and then the movie in and of itself sets up for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I think the movie's brilliantly portrayed. I think it was brilliantly directed. I think there was probably some cuts there that uh, would have helped flesh things out a little bit more, but maybe they left it vague on purpose. Yeah. Again, if you interpret it one way, it makes total sense the way they do it. If you interpret it another way... You know, you kind of wish that you had a little bit more context, but I think it was also important for pacing, too, if you interpret it that way. Yeah. Um, This movie demands multiple viewings, and I hope there are multiple viewings in theaters because it deserves it. This is a very high-quality movie. DC should print all the money based on this movie, (laughs) and I I do, I genuinely wish that they would set a new universe going forward in this universe and let Todd Phillips paint it however he wants to paint it. You know, the Batman with uh, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves and uh, who's the actor is playing him? Oh, uh, Vampire Boy. Uh, should, Edward Cullen. Yeah, th- um, his name's not coming to my brain right now. Uh, it, Robert Pattinson. Thank That's you, his Robert name. Robert Pattinson, who does not look like a human, much like Benedict Cumbersnatch. <laughs> <laughs> Being a dick in a cucumber patch. Uh, he looks like something other than human. Which is great because he's going to play a guy in a bat suit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that tracks. 
but uh, I, I would, you know, it would be cool if they could tie it into this somehow. But if that wasn't the original direction, just stick with whatever you were doing. Yeah. And I would say let that be a parallel universe and, you know, have, let Matt Reeves do his thing and then let Todd Phillips do his thing. And I think that would be pretty cool. Um, if you know, I, don't chase, don't keep chasing the dragon with the Marvel universe. You're never going to hit it. They already did it. It's already done, you know, and now Marvel, in my opinion, is going to be struggling here. I think they've already stumbled a little bit and they're, they have nothing to build off of unless they just do a hard reboot. Yeah. Like at, at this point, uh, DC should continue to go as art house as they possibly can. Yeah. And let Marvel basically uh, burn the the like let the candle burn at both ends with Marvel because that that's exactly I, the point that I think they're going to end up getting to if the latest Spider-Man movie was any indication. Yep, and check out our review for that. Yeah, did we do a review? <laughs> did we? I don't remember. I know we talked uh, about it. It's going to say TLDR. I didn't like it at all yeah i didn't like it either i was pretty disappointed despite loving homecoming and loving spider-man in civil war like uh even endgame and yeah yeah, it was, yeah it, it's a little weird uh, that at this point marvel has given me both my favorite Spider- spider-man movie and my least favorite spider-man i, movie. I have to agree with you yeah, yeah. i 100% agree with you that's that, um, that's worrisome but yeah, it's it's great. I think all the actors and actresses did a great job. I think it's funny that Zazie Beetz has now been in two R-rated uh, <laughs> uh, superhero films slash comic book films, uh, at least franchises. Uh, I love how they got Robert De Niro to play the the Johnny Carson you know type character with uh, Murray. Uh, I thought that was wonderful and a great homage to his original role as the aggressor in King of Comedy. I thought that was excellent. Uh, and it's a good way to get away from the stigma of copying that movie, that you have both the lead actor and the director of that movie chipping in yeah, uh, and clearly giving their blessing, which I think is great. Um, and the, I, my, one of my work buddies put it to me best. He, he said he never expected that he would want to see Robert De Niro in that role, in that type of role, and he loved it, and now he wants to see it again. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, everybody top to bottom played their role very well. The mother played the role well. The detectives played their role well. The Carney uh, clown college guys play their role well. The boss, the asshole boss, plays his role well. Everybody from the beginning to end plays their role well. Nobody really overacts their role or overacts their spot. Everything is done very well, and I think that's the biggest sign of a good director that actors A to B. You know, whether it's on their own merit or whether it's because the director guided them into that role, uh, into playing it a certain way, looked great. Everybody came out looking very good as a performer. And uh, yeah, I really don't have any major criticisms. I recommend everybody go see it. Thumbs up for me, definitely. If I could give it a 10, I would give it a 10. I really love the movie. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's worthy of all the Oscar buzz, and I hope it does win something. Yeah, I think upon further reflection, I, I've got to say it. Uh, I am revising my score based on the ending alone. 
I am actually going to give this a 10 out of 10. Yes, he's finally relented. This, this movie... <laughs> yeah, this makes it, me so it, happy. Because of the ending of this movie, this, this is the type of movie that is going to be talked about, I would say, for at least a decade. Yeah, this is a f- film that's going to be shown in film schools. Yeah. For the, a reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be shown in any kind of storytelling class, any kind of filmmaking class, any kind of class where they're trying to emphasize practical effects and how to use them effectively and frame a shot. Like This is high art. No matter... Without How being pretentious deri- about it. Yeah. That's, like, the, that's the best thing about it being a comic book movie, is it's high art without being pretentious. Yeah. It's like, you can it's claim amazing. that this movie is somewhat derivative, but uh, the way that it is derivative is to its benefit mm-hmm. and to its effectiveness with conveying the kind of story that we were trying to tell here, or that they were trying to tell here, yep. which is... This can be what happens to people who fall through the cracks who get walked over who get left behind Mm -hmm. and aren't going to take it anymore or is it or is it (laughs) (laughs) that's fucking great Uh, i think that's a great place to leave it um i think we do have some strong discussions we need to have about the best superhero movies of all time slash comic book movies of all time yeah Uh, that that the best that, Joker that entire list. of all time. It, yeah, like I think the, Heath Ledger was the clear runaway once upon a time ago, and I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, now th- this is this is someone going after the throne. Man, it's we're gonna have to reflect and have multiple viewings and everything. But whew, yeah, what a way to throw your hat in the ring. And yeah, Jared Leto. Uh, I've seen all of your bullshit online about how you're pissed off that they did a Joker movie without you. Fuck you <laughs> you were sending your co-stars used condoms and dead rats be- for your character work which is not something that joker would do period so it's not fucking method acting you piece of shit you garbage <laughs> human being uh, oh my god go you, you, sing in your rock band i don't care just get away from my television uh, and uh, my movie screen. okay this is oh my god. Well, what we want to leave this the, like the message we want to leave here it's is that Jared Leto. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm speaking for myself. Fuck Jared Leto. Uh, what he means to say is that Joaquin Phoenix is he has turned in a performance that, much like Heath Ledger's, is going to be the one that everyone is going to compare to. From this moment forward. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Jared Leto, <laughs> I don't know who told you wh- who told you what you were doing was okay. They were wrong. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. I would also blame Zack Snyder, who was trying to kind of lead this fucking mess. Oh, by we're going to get on our like, again. We're yeah, running out of battery. Running out of battery. I'm sorry, Jared Leto. I'm going to have to agree. <laughs> fuck off. Uh, yes. Joaquin Phoenix. Everything's coming up, Chris. Please. Please do more of this. Oh, please. please. I like, I, I'm, I'm close I, to I, saying you're definitive. If you, if you don't to, do it, I totally understand why you wouldn't. I totally get it. Yeah. 
but please do it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I need more. I need more. Oh, and that's uh, how you know it's good. We want more. Yep. So thank you, everybody, for sticking with us through another Hit the Books review. This one has been really fun <laughs> because the movie was really interesting and had so much to talk about. It, uh, there's still more to talk about. We're going to see it again. I'm is, sure we're going to. Oh this isn't God. the last discussion we'll have on this. Uh, I do wonder where this ranks on the all-time comic book movie list, where it ranks on the all-time Joker list. I don't I am so conflicted. I have, you know, in I'm getting all of goosebumps those, thinking a, about it again. In, yeah, in uh, all of those lists, he's at least in the top five. Yeah, this movie gave me goosebumps. It, <laughs> that's how you know, like, it's affecting you in one way or another. It's achieving its goal, whether you like it to or not. Uh, I, I would say this is in my top five movies of all time yeah. in general. And I think IMDb reflects that. It's like number nine right now in all time movies as far as critical ratings. Oh, that's crazy. Um, very imp- so good. Very impressive. Um, congrats to Todd Phillips and WB. Thank you for taking a chance on a low budget movie and letting them actually envision it and film it and create it. Thank you, Bradley Cooper, for helping pursue this as well, helping produce it. Martin Scorsese for chipping in and giving your blessing, even though they used a lot of your kind of ideas and concepts in this movie. Uh, yeah. Wonderful I, all around. Great yeah. job, everybody. Thanks I, to Joaquin Phoenix for finally giving in and actually performing the role because Todd Phillips exclusively said that he did not want anybody else. He wanted Joaquin Phoenix and only Joaquin Phoenix, and it worked out great. Yeah, I also want to say thank you to Martin Scorsese. I I know right now you're ha- you're having a thing on Twitter yeah. where uh, you, yeah, you, superhero movies aren't cinema. Um, you say that, and yet you give us this. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you for the groundwork. It's all about interpretation. Yeah. It's it, just another twist on this movie. Oh, oh, my God. We're breaking the fourth wall on the diverging paths now of interpretation. Oh, my God. It's so deep. <laughs> it's so deep. It's so good. <laughs> it's making me question reality. Real reality, not movie reality. <sighs> oh, my God. Uh, remember, you can always find us on htbvids.com. We're on YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Podbean, uh spotify you can find us on all these podcast services. make sure you rate well and give us a thumbs up subscribe it really does help us out you can contribute to the show if you like the show on patreon we're on patreon.com forward slash hit the books um we're updating everything uh again takes time but we got the new studio going we got the new mic system set up we got the new stage we got everything rolling again so it should be uh shortly here in the future that we have everything finished and ready to go uh, make sure you tune in to the next episode of Hit the Books Podcast, because I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this film. Probably spoiler-free still, but uh, I'm sure if you watch this review, you'll you'll get in on the hints oh, that yeah. we'll talk about after we watch it a second time. Oh, yeah. So be sure to tune in for that. Thank you very much for sticking with us. I bid you adieu until next time. Thank you. I love you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You suck the landing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs>